Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, Pulpiteryx to the Fire. It looks like you've had a long, 500-episode-long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a witty remark because it's crazy that we've been doing this for 10 years, 500 episodes. Um, yeah, like, and, and we always just, we were like, oh, what are we going to do for 500? That seems like a milestone you can't ignore. Yeah, like, I mean, at first we were like, oh my god, episode 50, we have to do something. Episode 100, whoa! And then, like, as the milestones kind of went by, it's like, well, we've had lots of 50s now. Okay, now we've had lots of hundreds. But, yeah, there's something about 500 that just seems like it's worth mentioning. And so thank you to everybody who, like, contributed in our Discord and was like, hey, these are all the things we want you guys to to chat about because uh yeah we're we're gonna talk about some some things we're gonna do some reminiscing off the top here um thanks to your suggestions so uh if you guys want to join in the conversation, you can head on over to bitly slash t g i discord but uh yeah, there are some great suggestions and uh like you said, Ryan, it seemed like we needed to do something. <laughs> like yeah. as much as, you know, as busy as we've gotten and, and as much as we've got going on and everything else, like it's still, it felt like a time to pause and to think, holy fuck, 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I kind of, uh, I kind of have a surprise for you because I said pre-show like, oh, you know, we forgot, we forgot it was 500. And, um, I, I didn't quite forget. Um, I worked with some folks in the Discord, some fans of the show, and uh, we're going to play a game before we get into the reminiscing. Oh, no! Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to play this uh, this intro clip here for, for everybody as we head into Guess That Game. remember when we replaced that intro, uh, my brother made that for us when he was still in audio editing school, um, and that was like, oh my god, I feel like I remember talking to Andrew Allen to make the new one, mm-hmm. like, in, when I was in Montreal, and I was with Matt, but I feel like that trip was, like, when we, like, first started dating, or, like, the first summer I was in Ontario or something, because I'm pretty sure we went to Montreal for DreamHack. So, like, I don't know. I don't, it was years ago, anyways, is the point. It's 2022. Yep. That would have been, like, 2017, maybe? Like... <laughs> yeah, it was 2016. It's in the, it's in the file. 2016! Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> uh, late 2016. Uh, the only reason I know that is because uh, I see the file name every time we edit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was our intro from way back in the day for our first four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprised it lasted that long, but I, I now see why we upgraded. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the first one. Sorry, Jocelyn's brother. It's just, it's like nostalgic yes. now. <laughs> I had to, I had to bring it out. So, um, you know, we won't delay further. So basically what I did is I asked uh, some fans of the Gamers Inn to pick some of their favorite moments from the last <laughs> 10 years. Oh, my God. And, uh, and Good on them for remembering, because that's one thing. Like, because there's some questions and some topics that you guys submitted that I'm like, 
How the hell do I know? <laughs> I know. And there are some real um, winners here. I had to go back through 500 weeks of show notes. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I had some help, so uh, I'm not going to say that. Uh, this, so I pulled the first clip just to get us going. I feel like this is an easy one. Oh, my one. God. It's a clip show now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why do you think we did it? Some... I thought it was going to be. You were going to, like, ask me questions, and I'd get, like, multiple choice answers or something. Oh, no. God. There's clips. Fuck my life. We're all going to, uh, you and I are both going to, if I had to edit these and, and revisit these, these. Uh, so I'll say this, um, all these clips are from various years, including our second year of operation. Oh uh, so there's some various uh, variations of audio quality. You'll have to yeah, forgive us yeah. here. Uh, most of it is um, on my end, although there appears to be some temporary microphone situations going on as well. Um, and off-site recording. So just keep that in mind as you're listening to this. But this, these first two are from the last couple of years. They should sound n- what you're used to. But uh, here's okay, the first so clip. The so you're going to play the clip, and then I have to guess what the game is that we're talking about? Exactly. And I okay, have uh, okay. bleeped out the game names. There's a couple that include it. So if you notice some glitches, that's, that's what that is. Okay, so, that's what it is. Okay. Here's the first one. It's, it, should be, it should come to you. Uh, let me know when you know it, and then I will stop the clip. So here okay. we go. It's you, you're like this omnipotent being sort of thing, where you have your like top down view of your city, and and like there you're missing that kind of personal connection, really. Like mm. I don't remember any of the names of any of my citizens. Like nothing really. It's, it's not that no, but <laughs> it just it doesn't have that that level of personal con- connection. So it's like it's a lot easier because of just the design of the game to make decisions based purely on numbers as a football like, kind of sending the kids to the mine, oh, right? Like we're, we're on the same page. I got it just before you said the mine thing. <laughs> All right, what do you think it is? It's Frostpunk. Yes, it is Frostpunk. Um, that episode, uh, it was one where, you know what, it was It was honestly a pretty... Um, also, yeah. I hate the sound of my voice. I don't know how you guys listen to me for 500 episodes. <laughs> I also don't like the sound of my voice, and when I'm editing it, it is a problem. But um, I make it through for everybody. Uh, so the thing about Frostpunk is that conversation was pretty um, – it was fine. Like, it was mostly just, like, talking about mechanics. But it started to go off the rail as you start to get into – outside of the, the mechanics, but in, into, like – the moral decisions in the game. Um, I was going to say, as soon as I said I could start making decisions based on numbers, I was like, oh, I killed people. What city builder type game was like killing people? <laughs> Named people. People you could like look in on and, and assign to different places. Yeah. Yeah. Frostpunk went some places. Yes, it did. <laughs> uh, so that was our first one. Good job. I figured it would be easy, but uh, we start to get it. It took me longer than I cared to. Wow. Like admit. <laughs> That's all good. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go to the next clip. Struggling with layering things, like layering additional on top features. of an existing system. Yeah. yeah, and it feels like they and you know this could be very well like one of those scenarios where the easiest way to get the July third update into this into this game uh, in a timely fashion was to say, hey, the wetsuit breaks everything, so don't let them do anything with the wetsuit. Oh, um, I know what it is. I never did any. What is it? 
is Animal Crossing. <laughs> it is Animal Crossing. That is correct. Uh, we talked about I this. I guess uh, New Horizons specifically. Oh, it's all good. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons. It was the update uh, from July. And that was a clip submitted by uh, Val. So thank you, Val, for sending that one. Oh, uh, Val. Val has been here for, like, literally probably 500 episodes if not 500 499 like val is like a day one fan and i love her yes. <laughs> also i feel like i need like a ding like a buzzer to hit but the only thing i have is this hey, you know what? That i swear button <laughs> which i obviously never use no no why would you um you would you know you don't you don't swear uh <laughs> that's the reason you don't use it Everyone knows you're lying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I. You know what's funny? Uh, I didn't. I didn't get a sound for correct or, or incorrect. But uh, eh, you know what? It's all for fun. No one's keeping score. Um, okay. Like this is to prepare you because this next clip it heads a little bit back in time. This one is tougher because it's not talking about the game, but it's myself recounting uh, an experience I had in relation to a, a, a real-life experience in relation to a game. So here we go. A week later, fast forward, the double XP stuff works great. You enter the code, get double XP, it's fun. Doritos, they were delicious. Um, leaving oh, oh, Walmart oh. a week later, uh, <laughs> I stumble upon a discarded... Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. It's Halo! <laughs> ah, but which one? Four! Oh, yeah, it was Halo 4. Uh, <laughs> yes. Correct. Correct. You said Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's good. Oh, man, you remember that. That's a good game. Yeah, you're doing really well. Okay, so that one is from uh, our late 2012, so our first year. That was episode 50, and that was submitted by Whirlwind. Here's the tough one uh, with this one. There was actually two moments that we could have clipped. One was Ryan doing a, a very bad impression of uh, someone who was high, uh, who was also shopping for Doritos. <laughs> and I did not include that um, for yeah, no real reason, really. I just oh felt God. like uh, the garbage ticket. That's amazing. <laughs> this one is me picking up a piece of garbage and taking it home and, and redeeming the code. And uh, getting the code, I remember. I'm sorry. I should have let it keep going, but I just I was so proud of myself for remembering that. Cue <laughs> it back away. up. Let me see if I can cue it back up to where we left off here. Uh, I stumble upon a discarded bag of Doritos, an empty bag, on the ground, and I'm thinking to myself, hey, there's a code on the back of that. Also, stupid litterers, so I pick it up, and I take it off, <laughs> and the code, <laughs> I use the code off the bag, so I basically was just like, felt really dirty afterwards. Um, you should. Because <laughs> I picked up a piece of garbage off the ground. So, yeah, there you go. That's the... <laughs> game purposes. Yeah, of course. To save the world, so the environment and everything else, no, right? No, so. for environmental reasons. <laughs> no, 100% just for Halo. <laughs> yeah, for, for the code. Uh, Alright, so this next one is uh, from Void Chronos. He submitted a few that will be popping up. I, I don't have, we're not going to do this all show. I, I, I do have a limit to uh, to these clips, but uh, this one, uh, well, let's, let's cue in and see what it is. Yeah, so I got to my favorite part in that game where you uh, get to the old Hyrule point. Spoilers. Mm. Is it ten, is that spoilers? It's, it's a 10-year-old game. It, there's no such thing as spoilers. Oh, Unless they changed the story. They did not. It's the yeah, same so, story. Um, 
some would argue that every Zelda is the same story. Um, whoa, whoa. Hmm? <laughs> you not, take that back. <laughs> yeah, let me just check my old Hyrule Historia here. Oh, yeah, okay. They're all different. They're all different. <laughs> They're all different. They just have a man, a girl, and a horse. Um, <laughs> some sort of beast. That's all stories. So any, uh, any guesses there? I'm going to guess it's Skyward Sword. Uh, no. No, I, wait, no, no. Uh, oh, you said it was a 10-year-old game. Uh, Wind Waker, then? The remake? Yes. Wind Waker HD ah. is correct. You got it. You got it. <laughs> I was like, it was after Hyrule Historia. I was living in Halifax when that came out. So, <laughs> like, trying to track back to, like, when in the timeline did this episode happen? <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a fun one. And again, like uh, early days, that was episode ninety three, twenty thirteen. Um, you know, no no uh, no room, you know, noise level control, just just all in there. <laughs> it's all in the podcast. So uh, enjoy that flashback. Uh, this next one comes from Josh, uh, the Josh, just Josh. I, I think that's Aww. how he goes. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's get into it. She went all on Batman too. Like her voice was just like. I don't know, like the way the way she was sometimes talking to people, she's like, I'm a time traveler. I'll get everybody get in my get in my time traveling machine. I'm mad, bitch. It doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, I don't know I don't know whether the voice actor changed. Maybe those nosebleeds are like really hurting her. I don't know, but I felt like she was like putting on a hero voice. I don't know. It was weird. But Yeah. I don't know. It just like this whole okay, I have to I have to deal with this cat. He's with, getting into some shit. Deal with the cat. Uh, let me know when you're back. But um, I forgot I included that. I could have paused it there, but I included it all. Oh my god, what was I doing? Why? Why am I bashing my mic on my desk? Oh, I wasn't thrall was. That yeah. makes sense. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe a Tomb Raider. Mm, so okay, I have a I have a hint system as well. I can. I okay. Can okay. So uh, some keywords in there, uh, time travel, uh, nosebleeds, um, uh, if that's not doing it, I can give you the year. It was 2015. It was an adventure game we were talking about. Um, we enjoyed like, it. I feel like time traveling nosebleeds should be telling me exactly what I need to know, but I'm so blanking. <laughs> Uh, it was an adventure game that we uh, liked the first three episodes just based on the premise of how you could control time and how that affected the story. Uh, we did not enjoy the last couple of episodes of it. Was it Life is Strange? It was Life is Strange, yes. Okay, I'm like, I can't remember what your powers were in that game. <laughs> it's been so long, and I feel like I hated the end so much that I just blocked the whole thing out of my mind. Time traveling nosebleeds was a hundred percent to the dead giveaway. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. That was a tough one and it was uh it was a franchise that as you can tell, you know, I really enjoyed True Colors, but uh it that franchise has come a long way, uh, as you can tell from that clip. Uh, we also have another one from Void Kronos, uh, and uh I won't play the whole clip but I'll play sections of it, and I'll, I'll, at strategic points, I'll ask you to guess. So here we go. It is a very punishing franchise. It always has been. But, man, it is. So he's playing on PC, oh. and <laughs> it's freaking oh. beautiful. Which one? Uh, um, 
Two? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, like, it, it's Dark Souls 3. Um, uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I didn't really think I played any of them. <laughs> no, you didn't. Uh, this one, yeah, basically, Matt was playing it, and uh, I think you you, uh, you were describing, you had witnessed him play it. And uh, basically, I mean, I'll play a little bit more of it. You were you, yeah, it's yeah, pretty glowing. <laughs> In a really, really creepy way. But, like, right. the graphics on it are really, really impressive. And the character design is so cool. Matt was fighting his boss, and mm-hmm. it was like... This had, like, really, really over-exaggerated, elongated, like, torso and limbs and stuff. It was almost, like, reminding me of, like, how bugs must look at stick bugs. They're just like, what? Even? So, uh, yeah, you uh, you dug Dark Souls 3. I don't think, I think I played a little bit of it, and, uh, yeah, it was more Dark I think Souls. I dug it because I didn't have to play it. <laughs> because then by that point in time, I was living with someone who was good enough to actually play and beat those games. Like, make some progress. So, <laughs> you can I was able to, like, experience some of the cooler, you know, later on mechanics and boss design and stuff without having to push the buttons myself because I just can't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel you. Uh, Void had submitted that one. He thought it would be fun to look at Dark Souls 3 and uh, consider you had you had thought maybe Elden Ring was something you'd check out just based on uh, how it looks. Yeah, it's like stuff. I went from, like, first Dark Souls, which was like, hell no, to Dark Souls 2 going, like, eyebrow raise, to Dark Souls 3 where it was fun to watch. Like, maybe it's a little bit more every time they're pulling me in. It's only taken 10 years. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so I have three more clips. This one comes from uh, Babylon Redeemer. So here we go. That's the beauty of games is that you can have these two different experiences and not have to get in an internet war over the fact that these are two different games. You know, that's what I'm trying to to, to say here is that can't we they all just get games. along? One's good and one's bad. Ooh. Ooh. So I, I just got the, the hacking idea. The next segment should give it away, but any guesses yet? Well, I thought originally maybe it was a Pokemon because they're two different, like, they're not really two different games. They're two different versions, but then saying one's good and one's bad. Mm. Did I love the end Pokemon so much that I would call the one I didn't pick bad? Hmm. It's not Pokemon. Oh, you'll, you'll get okay, it. It's not Pokemon. Okay, okay. Game module to take over things. Like, shove it up the horse's mouth and be like, boop, 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 and then you can ride them. Yeah. Because that's how that works. Uh, yeah. That's how hacking works, everybody. <laughs> it's a yeah, really cool mechanic. You have a stick, and then you stick it in stuff, and you go, boop, 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 and then you own it. That's how things work. Yeah. Um, I really, <laughs> don't try that in Zelda. Gosh, whatever you do. All right. So, uh, what do you think that game was? <laughs> so, that's Cosmic Horizon Dawn, right? Yes. So that was our... So wait, what was the one's good and one's bad comment about then? It was Breath of the Wild. <laughs> one's Horizon... Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a... Makes sense. That was a fun one where uh, I think it was... Uh, this was a later one. I think it was It was definitely in 2017, but it was after both Breath of the Wild and Horizon had come out, a couple months after both had come out, and uh, we were... I finally played Horizon, so we had we had that discussion. And I'm glad we don't have to have Zelda and Horizon in the same uh, yes. <laughs> quarter this time around. There's a month left, Ryan. Only one more month. I know. It's crazy. Literally, one, to, to this day of today, recording. Today, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Um, 
All right, this is another one uh, here from Void Kronos. It's super fun. Every game is like an adrenaline rush. Like the, I had the music stuck in my head on a loop because it's like the same music track over and hey, over yeah. and over again. Like, it's good stuff. even when I was like going around doing stuff in my like in my real life, I had to see. <laughs> so I was like, I was like doing stuff faster because I had this song stuck in my head, and I was like, go, 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 go. Like, so I mean. It was. It's really fun. It's mm-hmm. really addictive. Um, the gameplay is a little bit odd. It took me a while. I tried the single player, and I really didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But I love the multiplayer. All right. Jocelyn, any guesses? Uh, mm, this could be a stumper. The only thing I can think of, like, right off the top of my head, where I didn't like the single player, but I did really dig the multiplayer, was Splatoon 2. That is exactly it. You got yes! it. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I am so good at this <laughs> You are good at remembering things we did. <laughs> Which is really funny because I struggled with that a lot this afternoon while I was trying to put the show notes together. <laughs> well, I mean, in our defense, like, uh, there's a lot of stuff that, that goes into the podcast and it's, it's in the moment and it, it can be fleeting. And, I mean, we talk, I can't remember who I was talking I can't remember who I was talking to, um, but I, I think it was um, maybe the guys after TAC or something, and, like, we're saying, like, we don't remember the words that come out of our mouth at the end of the show. Like, you could ask me what the beginning topic on TAC was literally in the post-show, and I'd be like, I don't know. I have the hardest time even, like, naming episodes and making blog posts and stuff because... I don't remember what we talk about at all. So, yeah. <laughs> the fact that, like, hearing it back is, like, triggering things in my brain to remember, I'm just like, wow, my brain is a weird and wonderful place. Well, there you go. That just goes to show that it's in there. You just need the... It's in there somewhere. I just need the, yeah, the right... It's like the, when you smell something and then it, like, brings back a memory you didn't even know was still in there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Come on, that's happened to you, right? No, of course it has. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it like is... Like your mom's um, stopped at cookies or something, and you're like, oh, something from when I was seven. You're like, where did that come from? That's a, there's a term for it, and I'm sure uh, someone in Mel this memory. <laughs> memory. <laughs> that's not it. I'm pretty sure it's the Latin word for smellery, you know? It's just not smellery, but... Um, you know, so we do have one last clip here, and this one comes from uh, Josh, the Josh, uh, as well. And uh, here we go. But where it was a supporting character in the first game, you already know what her personality is supposed to be, or at least what the developers want her personality to be. So you know almost like the best way is to get through the conversations without even really having to pay attention or play the game. You can just pick the bitchiest option and you get the best outcome, which I feel like is just a terrible mechanic. Like, you can't necessarily play how you want to play. You play how you think the developers want you to play, and that's the way to go, and that's being super bitchy. And <laughs> That was the Chloe game. Oh, God, what was that called? Oh, man. I mean, you, you, I, I'd give it to you with that one. <laughs> literally cannot remember the game. I cannot remember the name of the game. I think I only played the first episode and it was just awful and you were just a horrible bitch to everyone you interacted with. Like... Your superpower. Yeah, your superpower was being a fucking bitch. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hated that game. <laughs> uh, I, 
believe that was one. The, the, uh, that's all I have for the clip, but um, I did kind of, like, right after that, you're like, I'm sorry, guys, there's no way I can keep playing this game. Uh, and I'm not, I'm, it was an adventure game, you got three episodes, it was back when they were releasing them, like, once a month or something, mm -hmm. and, uh, you jumped out, but I think I covered the last two episodes, and, uh, yeah, it turns out you continue, um, to use your superpowers to, uh, somewhat meh effect, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not great, um, before the, it was before the storm, so Life is Strange before the storm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, again, when you look at the Life is Strange, uh, you know, catalog, the first three episodes of the first one are really good. Uh, and then Life is Strange 2, from what I've heard, is pretty good. But uh, Life is Strange True Colors is excellent. So, uh, yeah. There you go. And that's all the clips I have. Which is more clips than I thought, because I didn't even know there was going to be clips. So thanks, exactly. everyone, for sending those in. Yes, yes. I really you appreciate have, it. You like, I'm starting to get really sus, because I feel like you have some secret TGI Discord that I don't know about, because this is the second time in, like, a month <laughs> that you surprised me with something that I didn't know was happening. Mm. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> private messaged these folks. Yes, I did. Uh, and uh, okay, well, that's not too bad because I'm I'm picturing like another <laughs> Discord server that just the whole reason it exists is to talk about me. So I'm really glad that's not the case. <laughs> I'm not. You know, not paranoid and anxious enough. <laughs> no, 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 no. no it's, uh, the the TGI Discord is is what you see is what you get. And uh, yeah, no, I just reached out to a few folks to help me out. And uh, they were able to provide some timestamps and their favorite moments. And, you know, like, for me, going through these clips, um, I remember a good – I remember the moments, you know, uh, when I was listening to the episodes, but I think the one that completely caught me off guard was the Batman voice uh, from mm. Life Strange. I don't remember – I don't even remember how I would get to that point. Yeah, I don't remember talking about that at all. But, again, it, those Life is Strange ones were <laughs> – I am really impressed, though, that some people's favorite moments came from our first 100 episodes because, honestly, even just listening back to those, like, clips and, and listening to sound quality and even presentation quality, I like to think I've become a much better podcaster over the last, well, 500 episodes of this, 400 and something of TAC and all of the other shows that I've done as well, and I feel like I've hopefully gotten a lot better at <laughs> getting my ideas across but i just can't believe that there are that people remember that far back and that those are some of their favorite moments although i probably had much less of a filter back then <laughs> <laughs> i uh i think that um you know these were moments that probably jumped into people's minds um when they, when they were asked to find the clip i don't know if it was their favorites but i think like when you look back yeah there's I think, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, podcast friends that I'm sure have a huge catalog of episodes, and I think when you look at the Gamers in from episode 1 to 500, there's obviously been a lot of change uh, in terms of audio quality, presentation, as you said, and, and even just the way, like, everything we do with the even podcast. structure. Yeah, like, uh... Do you remember yeah. quick-fired news? <laughs> I wish I had uh, pulled... <laughs> So we had, for the first episode, we had sound drops for, like, everything. Oh, God. And I had to, like, go into my backup software just to get uh, the the twenty the original intro um, uh, off of a different computer. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those moments where we had, we had drop-ins. Uh, yeah, and it was, uh, it was a different time. And then once, I think, like, in the first year, we really simplified the show down to... Um, 
you know, what we were playing and quickfire news and a topic. And then we just decided, like, well, what if the news started to bleed into the topics? Like, well, what if we just do mm-hmm. what we're playing in news? What a novel concept for a video game podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, we were trying to be different, but at the end of the day, it wasn't really about the structure. It was about, you know, our thoughts and opinions. On our thoughts and, and personalities, yeah, and I guess people really like to listen to those. So, mm-hmm. I mean... I'm I'm super happy that we've gotten as far as we have, and I think we've produced some really good content along the way. So thanks, everybody, for sticking it out with us for 500 episodes. Um, should we jump into – do you have any more surprises? Or no. should we jump into the notes and the topics? Okay. I have no more surprises. We can – this is why at the top of the show I was like, you know, we have to cut my game. That's totally fine. Yeah, yeah I was like, no, this would be fine. We can fly through this. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize you had a half an hour's worth of yes. flip shows. Well, I, I, I wanted to uh, – I wanted to have something special, and we've been doing some clips in the past, and I've been trying to play around with the soundboard, so – um, I was really happy to uh, get the get the submissions from the listeners because again, at the end of the day, I don't think we would have we would not have had this many clips if the listeners no, hadn't no. put forward some of these timestamps. So I really do appreciate it. And I and even if I had gone to find the clips, I probably wouldn't have pulled half of these because, like you said, there are moments that just uh, don't come straight to mind when you've done 500 episodes of a thing. It is kind of funny, though, because um, so when you played the Frostpunk clip, that kind of actually leads into our first topic, because that was one of my favorite games to discuss with you. So that was one of the topics suggested was, what were our favorite games to discuss with each other over the last 500 episodes? And Frostpunk 100% made my list, because I thought it was so fun to sit here and talk to you about, like, the kind of moral quandaries that were posed to you in Frostpunk, and I was just like, man, it makes me feel like a horrible, terrible person, but there's no one I want to talk about, like, talk to you about being a horrible, terrible person more than Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah man, that game is so much fun, and it's, um, any other conversation you would have with, uh, with another person that maybe hasn't played Frostbite, you'd describe it as a fun game, uh, <laughs> they kind of look at you weird, you know? Yeah, no, I always struggle to recommend it because I'm just like, okay, so there's some child labor and some prostitution things going on. But, you know, if you can get past that, it's a very interesting title. Yeah, uh, there was actually some moments in, in that episode where I was clipping it where um, we were talking. You also have, like, a whole system for when uh, your citizens lose limbs, right? And then that, that puts them into a, a certain category of, um, you know, amputees that are you you have to take care of, but you can also build um, you know uh, you know mechanical prosthetics. yeah prosthetics. Thank you to outfit them and then you know reintroduce them. Put them back to work. <laughs> and uh, like you said, it is it is a game that is kind of tough to talk about, but when you do get into it and you have a good time with it, it, it is a lot of fun to talk about. And I'm so glad they're making a sequel. Um, you could you could really see them like a one and done type thing. But I'm glad they're doing another one. And any time we had an opportunity to talk about it, they had years of DLC. And every time they had a campaign out, we made sure to include it for both of us to play and to talk about mm-hmm. it because, ah, oh, so much fun to talk about that game. <laughs> and I'm sure fun for the listeners, too, as we uh, we talk about all the wonderful new mechanics they introduced with every scenario. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just makes you feel terrible discussing it, but it's, it is it is in the game. Um now, there's a lot of moments, like, a lot of favorite games to discuss. Like, 
I I kind of went uh, you know early on like anything anytime we talk about Mass Effect that was one of my favorite moments because again I came to Mass Effect kind of late I was the only one in my gaming circle that was playing it and when we started the podcast it kind of opened up that that uh, gaming social circle to have a bunch of new people uh, who also enjoyed Mass Effect. So it was really nice to, uh, I don't think my enjoyment of the Mass Effect franchise, including ending up playing uh, Andromeda, I don't know if I would have played Andromeda if it weren't for the fact that we, and this isn't like a threat or anything, I wouldn't have played Andromeda if uh, if we hadn't had such a, like a, a vocal, passionate uh, group of folks that were really into the Mass Effect franchise. And, and even discussing the Mass Effect 3 ending and following all the DLC and, and the patched ending as well, like, it was still a lot of fun to talk about. Like, there are games that we would play and did not enjoy, and those weren't fun conversations but in, you know for for either of us like one that comes to mind is is vampire like we both really mm. didn't like it um but even though mass effect 3 had issues we still had a, I still had a great time talking about that franchise and even though andromeda was really not you know as great as the original trilogy it was still fun to talk about um mm-hmm. i had a lot of fun with that franchise talking about it on the show for sure yeah, one that I put on my list because it, like, spawned literally its own episode. It was our, um, oh, shoot, I can't even remember what we, oh, Inside the Game, uh, when we were, you know, putting that out as a as a Patreon um, re- reward, milestone goal, still there. <laughs> uh, whatever. It's still a reward. Yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, the whole idea of inside the game of of doing a deep dive on the story and lore of a of a single player experience that we enjoyed, um, Quantum Break. That was a really, I mean, we ended up recording was it like three hours long or something? I feel like it just kind of there was so much to discuss in that game. We had such a good time talking about it that our you know one to one and a half hour bonus content ended up being twice that long. And, uh, yeah, so, like, that's why that one made my list is because basically, like, playing that game and talking about it to you, like, spawned this whole idea for another way for us to make content. It was that good of a discussion. So that Quantum Break made my list because of that. (laughs) Yeah, I did have a lot of fun with Quantum Break, and it was kind of this show's introduction to Remedy Games. I don't think either of us really talk I hadn't about played yeah I hadn't played any of their stuff before quantum break yeah so that was a really fun introduction to to remedy and as you said it did spawn um our first episode of of the the spin-off patreon podcast where we uh, really dove into the game um and uh you know another one for me that was kind of digging back was and this might have been early maybe first year maybe maybe first year was portal 2 and mm. That was a fun one where we just, again, it was a franchise that we both really liked. Um, and the fact that it got a sequel and the anticipation for it, its, you know, landing and, and its successful launch. And uh, outside of the, you know, PlayStation hack that happened around the same time, because I remember, I remember Portal 2 coming out. I remember it had a promotion. If you bought it on PS3, you got a, a Steam copy as well, because uh, they had put Steam on PlayStation 3 in that one game. But it was also the time when PlayStation Network was down. So I managed to, like, activate Portal 2 
get the Steam version, and I ended up playing the whole thing was on the Steam. Was it PlayStation 3 or was it PlayStation 2? Oh, yeah, no, I think it was 3, yeah, because it would have, I don't even think it 2 was out when we were doing the show. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, I was trying to remember, like, how, how many consoles have there been? <laughs> I guess we're on the 5 now, so yeah, 4 and 3 for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really did enjoy, you know, and Portal 2 stuck around, like, I think it was part of our Extra Life events for quite a while. Uh, doing the co-op stuff, and uh, that was just—it was just a fun game, and it also had like a great, like a like a story to it that we could, you know, discuss and spoil and stuff. So, I really want Portal Three. That's maybe the main reason I mentioned it. It's, uh, it yeah, really nice. you're just trying to put it out in the universe. I mean, no one else. <laughs> no is, one right? else. Is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we have been doing the show together too long. <laughs> um, the last one that I wanted to mention, actually, is, is probably going to make you guys laugh, but uh, Fortnite. And not because of the necessarily in-depth conversations that Ryan and I had around it. It was just, I remember the first time Ryan talked about it, and this was before they introduced the Battle Royale, and he was just trying to explain, like, the zombies and the building, and, and he basically said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, it's a pretty fun game. I hope it sticks around for a little while. And then they put the Battle Royale in, and it exploded into what it is today. And I just remember that first conversation we ever had about Fortnite. It was, like, Oh, I don't even know, like a month or two before they added the Battle Royale stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where, oh, yeah, it's a small little title. Not very many people are playing it, but I think the building mechanic is fun. And then kaboom, <laughs> huge, like, monolith of a game that it is now. So <laughs> I'm yeah. actually surprised that one of those, uh, one of those clips wasn't Ryan's initial description of Fortnite. <laughs> That's one of my favorite memories. Yeah, Fortnite's a, that was a big one. So, like, we got a code to check it out uh, for Zombie Game of Podcast because it originally was a zombie game. It was a zombie game, yeah, yeah. That's why, and I was kind of like, eh, it's a zombie game, you know, whatever. <laughs> Not really my jam. Yeah, and we, like, and that's the thing. And it also wasn't, uh, wasn't something that normally would come across my radar because it was also, like, this you know, building, defend, you know, your town. And it was a it was a campaign game that you played co-op with your friends. It still is. It's still in there. I don't know what they call it. It's probably survival or battle mode or uh, anyways. It's uh, probably just that mode no one talks about. Yeah, I, I think they just keep it in there, uh, you know, because that's where it's Legal reasons, maybe. I don't know. Uh, if they remove it, then, then the PUBG guys get to get to come after them. But... Um, there's a lot to Fortnite, and at launch, like, we checked it out for Zamp, and I talked about it on, you know, Gamers In, and when they added the Battle Royale, it, it essentially removed all things zombie, and it became this Battle Royale game, and, um, PUBG was a game that we, uh, you played, I tried to play. Oh, I played so much of. <laughs> My computer hated it. Uh, I could barely play. Um, I think, like, every time we played for Extra Life, like, it wouldn't load the buildings, so by the time it loaded the building, someone had found me and, and, and killed me. Uh, I didn't have enough RAM. Uh, evidently, 8 gigabytes was enough to run pretty much any AAA game, but not PUBG. Uh, you needed at least 16 gigabytes to run that thing. Um, but yeah, uh, Fortnite was one that never really uh, stuck around for us, but it's certainly stuck around for the industry. And I don't know if mm -hmm. people enjoy us like covering the big, wacky Fortnite news, because it's always, it always, you know, smacks of... You know, the kids are playing, you know, because we don't, <laughs> say, oh, they, they stole the, the Among Us stuff, which is also, it's kind of like, you know, the kids 
are playing the game that stole the the kids' game, so um, it's not very helpful. Some of us play Among Us and very much enjoy it, Ryan. That's true. That's true. I'm 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 the old one. I'm not very good at Among Us. Terrible at lying. Uh, so that's not. That's why I like playing with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I apologized for being the killer when we played last. So yeah. this is very on brand and very Canadian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. So one of the other one of the other um, topics that was sent in was major gaming achievements. Mm. So this one I actually found kind of difficult, and I think Ryan, you did too, um, just because I I find like. Most games I play for fun as opposed to, like, playing for any sort of competitive reason. Although, um, obviously, like, a lot of games have gaming achievements built into them. And so, I mean, but I don't know if that's really what the what we're looking for here. So I didn't really go too far down the achievement um like, in terms of, of platform achievements. I didn't go too far down that road, although I do think one of my biggest gaming achievements is getting 100% in Horizon Zero Dawn because most of the time I look at a lot of those achievements and I go, oh, yeah, I could probably work on that, but by the time I'm finished the single-player campaign, I'm just like, meh, whatever, I don't care. But that game was so good, I didn't want to stop playing, so I actually, like, platinum trophied my Horizon Zero Dawn, and that, I was actually really proud of that. I was proud of myself for sticking with it. Nice. No, that's a good one. I think, uh, you know, I think Horizon Zero Dawn, it also may have had, like, those, like, do a bunch of one thing. I know God of War had it where you had to, like, kill, you had to collect a bunch of feathers or... Uh, yeah, there were a bunch of uh, collectibles, a bunch of, like, combat things, so you had to, like, kill X number of enemies using X specific weapon, and uh, but the one thing it didn't have, and actually it's probably the reason why I ended up getting 100% in Horizon and a lot of games I don't is because there was no difficulty achievement. Mm, yeah. It was just you can play through on whatever difficulty that you want, and as long as you do these things, then you can uh, 100% it. So that's a whole other conversation around, you know, difficulty and rewards and, and everything else that we don't have to get into tonight because I think it's already going to be a long show. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, that definitely allowed me to get the achievement. I'm playing it through now on the on the highest difficulty just for my um, just my own interest. Like, <laughs> I've already played it. I've already seen it. I'm getting I'm getting excited for Forbidden West. So, um, but yeah, there's no like actual achievement tied to that, and I I like that. that. It made me feel really good. That and I can't even remember if I played it through on casual or normal. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I just I felt like it was an achievement worth mentioning, just because I tend to think of myself as a completionist, and I do love working on achievements in basically every game that I play, uh, including Hearthstone. But because uh, they added those. <laughs> oh, that's right, they did. Yeah, that was uh, last year they added achievements. Um, but, yeah, I, it is something I really, really enjoy doing, but very rarely do I actually follow through and get 100% of the achievements. So Yeah. Well, the, the thing is with getting 100%, like a lot of games are structured a way where I love that sweet spot where it's totally achievable in the first sort of playthrough. I think Spider-Man was uh, Insomniac Spider-Man was one that was pretty 
you could just play the game and then do some cleanup, and then you had all the trophies. There were a couple of challenging ones that I think were like do a specific challenge in a specific amount of time, or um, but they were always they weren't like do all of the challenges at the specific you know ranking. It was kind of you know more cumulative, where it was like you know do uh, um, uh, you know do five get you know get top marks in five challenges as opposed to all fifteen. And I think that's really smart, you know, achievement um, uh, design. And I think you're right. Like, I think PlayStation has, has really done their darndest with their trophy system to kind of, I think achievements in general have kind of moved away from, like, the completionist and more about just finding all the fun, you know, corners of a game and, and enjoying them. And letting you play the way that you want to play while still, you know, getting those hits of, what is it, serotonin? or Dopamine. Dopamine, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Serotonin, is that the thing you get from the sun? I think that. Yeah, I don't be. remember. I don't know. We're not, a, we're not a, a health podcast. We're not a science place. No. <laughs> I went to the science center once, but it was a long time. I'm due up to return. And, uh, yeah. Obviously, I'm not lacking. Um, you know, for me, I, like you said, it was a tough one. I, I, I started to lean towards, like, podcast achievements, but then mm. I, I quickly steered away. But I think in terms of... Gaming achievements, I think, for both of us. Um, I, I have to mention all of our Extra Life stuff. I know we always remember the last... Oh, I was totally going to leave that for last. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you're, you're totally right. Yeah, I didn't put it in the notes on my side, but I saw it on yours, and I was like, yeah, definitely. Especially, like, this year, obviously, was huge. It's the biggest year we've ever had. But I think um, for almost every year, I think we had one year, like, one exception that was a little bit less. But, like, we've seen growth year over year, mm-hmm. which I think is really important and uh, makes me feel really good about the effort that we're putting in uh, to do the Extra Life stuff. And, and yeah, I mean, I think um, this year, personally, I broke the $15,000 raised mark, and it just like, yeah, our, all of our Extra Life stuff has been incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those, you know, things we do each year that is, um, you, can, you can track it, you can quantify it, and you can see that, as you said, there is growth. I've also noticed, like, you know, it's really, um, not only it's grown the community as well, like, it strengthens, you know, the gamers in as a community, and you just see everyone come out for these events and, um just having a, a good time while raising funds for charity. And it's, uh, I know like we, it's adapted over the years where, you know, we've, <laughs> we've certainly left the 24 hours behind. I think it mm-hmm. took a, maybe a couple extra years than it, it should have to, to make that change. Um, but I'm glad we did cause it's, it's just made it a better event for everyone, uh, both, you know, watching and, uh, participating as well. And, uh, it's always it's always fun and it's always a great time and I felt like you know, we had to mention it but yeah like I wanted to I wanted to front load it because you know my other ones are kind of like silly like a, a major mm. gaming achievement like enjoying the Wii U I feel like uh, <laughs> not a lot was, of people that was a major gamer achievement oh my god yeah. I think you were the only one that achieved that <laughs> yeah yeah you know what if it, it's kind of an, uh, an ultra rare. <laughs> an exclusive club where uh, I th- I feel like that platform um, truly uh, showed my uh, Nintendo fandom. But I, I found the fun with the Wii U. It took a bit, but uh, we got there. And now everybody who owns a Switch is also finding the fun with Wii U because a lot of those games got ported. Um, and uh, just another one, like finishing Xenoblade Chronicles 2 after being away. This one's more recent, so it was easier for me to 
to remember this one. I'm sure there are other things I'm forgetting, but, you know, I very rarely return to a game once it's entered that, like, you know, not back in the system mode where it's in the box and you just, out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I need to get back to that. It's like a 100-hour RPG. Like, yeah, I'll get back to that. I was going to say, do you you have a final um, hour count on how long it took you to finish Xenoblade Chronicles 2? I mean, I I, I probably would on the Switch, but I I think it was 100 hours. It was was close to it. Like, it's a BV game. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one that I returned to after, like, over three years. I know we both played it at launch over the holidays of, uh, 2017 into 2018. And, uh, it just, it dropped off because it, it's such a massive game and there's always new it's stuff so coming big. out. so big, yeah. And, um, I'm glad I went back to it. Uh, we did it for the TGI Patreon Mini Update Corner. And week by week, I think it took me, like, six months, but I finished it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think I'm better for it. I enjoyed it. It was a fun game. Um, you know, whenever I see announcements or rumors for Xenoblade Chronicles 3, I can get excited because I finished two, so that's good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was, uh, I was really happy with that one. Again, there's probably other ones I'm, I'm forgetting, uh, that are, you know, I was gonna, I was, another joke answer was surviving Road to Halo 4. That's also a major achievement for this podcast. <laughs> that is, that was definitely an achievement for me. Oh my god, just getting through those games and coming out the other side. I have watched Matt play a little bit of Halo Infinite, and I keep looking at it, going, "I should probably just try it." And I watch him play, and I'm like, "This looks so boring and empty." And everybody's the same. Like these are all the same bad guys from before. Yeah. And you have an AI that's like, "Is Cortana, but it's not Cortana." And I'm just like, "Man." Did they just hit copy-paste? I'm sorry. Okay, that's it. That's all my Halo bashing. I'm done. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't be a, a, a retrospective Gamers In episode if we didn't have some Halo bashing, right? <laughs> True. Uh, I do feel bad because I know, like, you among many others very much love Halo, but... I love it, uh, but I can... I totally see where you're coming from. You're not wrong, but, you know, sometimes carbon copies can be fun, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just a Zelda fan, right? Like, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, one more one more achievement I did want to highlight, um, because when I was going back through the show notes this afternoon, I randomly clicked on one week, uh, 153 episodes in, where uh, my comment for the week was, the road to legend starts now, and I was like, oh, my God. So... 153 episodes would have been three years in, so approximately seven years ago, um, I, I started trying to want to maybe think about being competitive in Hearthstone, and uh, it wasn't until this year that I actually put the time in and put the effort in, and I've now been Legend a few times, but uh, it was, yeah, it wasn't until this year that I finally, like, hunkered down and did it. <laughs> so, uh, for me... That's, like, a really big achievement coming, like, not only from this show, but for doing TAC and, you know, going from I've never seriously paid attention to a card game past the art um, in my entire life to, you know, like, covering Hearthstone week in and week out, putting out what I think is really good content over on the Angry Chicken side of things, and then, you know, going from that knows-nothing gamer all the way up to, you know, a legend in North America. Like, that's that's a pretty big deal for me. So I I thought I should include it. A little bit of bragging. No, <laughs> Even though I know there's, it. like, a billion people at this point that have done it, like, it, it was a big deal for me. Well, you know what? In terms of 
co-hosts of this podcast, I'm, even including guests. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I know Garrett's been on the show. Has he hit legend? He has not. Oh, well, then there you go. You're still <laughs> top, of the, top of the TGI list, right? Oh, I, well, okay, yeah, the TGI list. I thought you were going to say the tack list. I was like, oh, no, Ridiculous yeah. Hat is literally, like, not only in legend rank right now, but he's, like, double digits. Like, he's, like, 26 or something in North America. Like, he's ridiculous. <laughs> Whereas, like, I get to Legend, and then I'm like, okay, how many people can I concede against to get everybody else into Legend? <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, that's still amazing. What's the opposite of a gatekeeper? A welcome committee? Yeah. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. No, I, I think that's totally worth mentioning. I, and that's the thing. I'm not competitive when it comes to video games, so, like, Maybe I could add, you know, again, finding the fun in Dead by Daylight to this list. Again, a, a recent achievement, but I, I like, I failed to kind of find anything that was like, uh, you know, uh, like a crowning achievement. I'm not good at competitive games either, and, and uh, you know, but yeah, I uh, lots of fun stuff to look back at. And I mean, we have um, one more category: games we missed over the years, which was another tough one for me because I kind of sample everything. You play everything. I know. <laughs> it's a problem. It's to the point that, like, guys, usually I come in, I look at the show notes, and I'm like, damn, I played, like, Hearthstone, WoW, and DVD. What the hell am I going to talk about this week? And Ryan's got, like, eight things. I'm like, I don't even, these words together don't look like game titles to me, and yet it's something that you found and played. With three small children, how? What? <laughs> I, it, look, it's a it's a problem. I need to every year. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna focus in, uh, and usually it's January. Right? I'm gonna focus in. I'm gonna play these games. But it's also like at the same time, you know, where you we buy a bunch of games on sale over the holidays and get some for Christmas. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna focus in. Oh wait, no, there's I can't skip Horizon. I can't skip Zelda. I got you know, and it goes down the list, and then you end up. And Game Pass is not helping either, as much as people say, like, oh, you got to mention Game Pass. It's like, no, it's 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 also, it's a blessing and a curse, because um, most of the stuff that joins the list is, is, is Game Pass. But, I mean, all all the games that I listed here are games that I have tried, but have not got past the point where, you know, they've made it onto um, the show for a full discussion. And uh, and some of these might might have made, like, partial discussions, but... Like, the Persona franchise is one that constantly pops up. Uh, I do have five. I've played a little bit of it. I, I would love to um, get into that game. But, again, like... Isn't that another, like, 100-hour-long experience? Yeah, it's a huge JRPG. It's huge, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a problem um, for me. And uh, and that's the thing. The trick is to play smaller games and, even better, play, you know, uh, you know half of that smaller game. So it's it's a little easier. But... Um, Undertale is one that constantly people talk about. Uh, I played a little bit of it. Uh, you know, it's got comparisons to Earthbound, and I only played a little bit of it because it launched on Game Pass, I think, last year. So that was another one that I haven't had a chance to really, like, dive into. And, um, you know, one that, one that's on your list, but also one that, uh, you know, came out the same year and jokingly has, like, a similar title name was, uh, The Outer Wilds and The Outer Worlds are two games that, um, both, you know, I, I never played the Outer Wilds, but I, I played a little bit of the Outer Worlds, uh, because it was on Game Pass, and I just, uh, I enjoyed it, and I, I kind of fell off of it, and, uh, I, w- I, with the sequel coming out at some point, uh, I, I would love to get back to it, but, like, yeah, I, I sort of sample everything. 
Yeah, Outer Wilds was on my list as well, and I'm pretty sure that was one of the ones that was nominated or won Game of the Year with some outlets a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, but it definitely, you're right, the whole Outer Wilds, Outer Worlds thing is very confusing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still can't tell you which one's which, but... Um, <laughs> All I know is, like, yeah, I need to play them, basically. Um, and I and I don't want to go too much into into any of these because I feel like it's uh, ground that we have tread on gamers in many times. But uh, God of War, Last of Us, and um, The Witcher are are on my list. And God of War, I think I'm going to play uh, because the new one that's coming up this year does look really interesting to me. Um, I get Ragnarok, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Last of Us. I'm not sure about. <laughs> um, it's just because, like, everybody who recommends it just says, like, oh, it's one of the greatest games of all time, but also you have to be in a very specific mental space for it because it's very depressing. Like, okay. <laughs> so then I'm always, like, sitting down and, like, what do I want to play? Do I want to play something that could be fun or something that's super depressing? Spoiler alert, I never pick super depressing. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's been a bit of my mental block with The Last of Us. And uh, and then The Witcher, I that was one that I was never actually able to get into. I only ever played, um, like, to the first town of Witcher 3, and I, it just didn't grab me for whatever reason. But now that I've watched the TV show, and I love the TV show. I love the TV show so much that we watch, like we rewatched the first season before like starting the second one. You know, when the second one came out, like I was like, no, you know what? I'm gonna rewatch the whole first season. I'm gonna understand what's going on a whole lot more and a whole lot better. I'm gonna understand like timeline things and whatever. Let's watch all of season one, which is something I don't usually do. Um, yeah, and then we watched all of season two, and I, like, I really enjoyed it. I really, really like it. So I'm like, now that I have a more, like, information about the universe, maybe I would enjoy the games better. So that's that's on my, like, hmm list. But also The Witcher 3 was winning, like, Game of the Year awards in, like, 20, what was it, like, 15, 14, something like that. So it's an oldie at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's one of those titles that, like, is maybe looking at a remaster soon. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I think this year it's supposed to get uh, a bump on next-gen consoles, so you could probably mm. uh, you could probably play the, the, the Game Pass version or, or pick it up. It, you might even already own it on one of the consoles. But, yeah, it's supposed to have a next-gen patch, and... You know, for The Last of Us, uh, they're producing uh, a Last of Us HBO series, so you could probably just watch it. And it's got Pedro Pascal in it, so, like, you can't go mm, wrong there. I do so, like him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, it seems jokey to say, oh, I'll just watch the TV show, but at the end of the day, I, I feel like they are, this is like a bone of contention on, on Zombie Day, my podcast, that, that that Lou has, is that, well, they're they're kind of just making the game, they're, they're straight adapting it to uh, to television. I'm like, yeah, like, that's... It's a great story. Like, why change it? Bring it to a new audience that mm-hmm. you know, doesn't want to play the game or, or hasn't played the game. And um, there'll be opportunities to tell, like, side stories and other uh, stories that, that weren't included in the game for various reasons, you know, change up some stuff. So um, similar to The Witcher, you could watch that show when it comes out uh, this year. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So I, it's hard to recommend. Last, like, I obviously have recommended The Last of Us a lot. Uh, but <laughs> at this stage, like, I have talked to folks who, you know, um, The Last of Us 2 had, had come out last year, and, like, it is a game that you have to recommend and say, and as you said, like, you know, you also want to make sure that 
you realize what you're getting into. Similar to Frostpunk, you know, like you want to know what you're getting into with that game. It may have stellar action gameplay, but at the end of the day, it's it's still uh, a very, you know, um, it, it has a dark, dark world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah. But God of War is great. You should play God of War for sure. Yeah, that's that's on my list because it's coming out at the end of the month on PC. So uh, although now that I do have the PlayStation Five, and I think I said this maybe last week or the week before. Um, I'll probably play it on there because that's the the best hardware in the house right now. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed the retrospective. And uh, I think Ryan had mentioned uh, Game Pass. And speaking of Game Pass, uh, that's what I played this week. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, okay, <laughs> I did the typical Josh thing um, where I am normally in the Steam interface. Like, that's just the ecosystem that I normally have open. That's where I play DVD, so it's open on my computer all the time. And so when I'm looking for games, that's just kind of my go-to. And I need to retrain my brain to not go to Steam first because I literally saw this game and went, oh, yeah, that's one that I wanted to play. And it was on sale on Steam for, like, 10% off or something, which is already an under $30. So, like, I, the sale was, like, $2 off. And I was like, yes, please, <laughs> instead of checking freaking Game Pass where it's there for free. But what I'm talking about is Nobody Saves the World. And this game caught my eye because um, – and actually, I'm surprised that this game didn't come up in our rec- retrospective at all because I feel like we played not only the original game, but also we played a lot of Don't Starve Together. And Nobody Saves the World aesthetically kind of reminds me, just gives me vibes of Don't Starve. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I kind of – I saw that come up, and I was like, oh, that, that looks kind of cool. And I'm not normally into, you know, like dungeon crawlers, but I had a great time in Boyfriend Dungeon. I swear Boyfriend Dungeon has completely changed my outlook towards, like, roguelikes and dungeon crawlers, <laughs> which is crazy. This game I wasn't even going to play if it wasn't for some silly controversy – um, so yeah, I, this is one that I probably wouldn't have looked at before, but I'm having a lot of fun in it. And it, I mean, obviously it's great that it's, um, that it's available through Game Pass, but, um, yeah, it's, the, it has an amazing soundtrack. I'm like running through dungeons and even like the overworld music. I'm like sitting there and I had to like tab out to, to work on show notes for a bit. And then I was tabbing back into it. And even when I'm tabbed out, I'm just like sitting there jamming in my chair and I'm like, what am I doing? So it's just this background noise from Nobody Saves the World. The soundtrack is, and normally I'm not the one mentioning the soundtrack. That's Ryan's jam, but this one has a really great soundtrack. Yeah, no, I I uh, saw in the notes, <laughs> this is, you know, another part of the problem of Game Pass being so easy to just install and, and, and go. It's a small game, so I saw in the notes like 20 minutes before the recording, and I'm like, well, I got all my clips done, so let's check this out. And it is a game that, you know, gets going right away, Mm-hmm. And you're in the world, you get the you get a good understanding of what's going on, like boyfriend dungeon is a great comparison. You can't date the weapons. Uh yeah, in this one, but, yeah. you know. Uh, but what you do actually get to do, uh so you don't have different weapons necessarily, you have what's called different forms. So you kind of like wake wake up in this little house and you are nobody and you're just this like little bland, nothing like person shaped character and as you go through, like, you find this magic wand, and it allows you to take different forms, and each of the different forms allows you access to, like, gives you different powers, different types of powers, 
you can go different places. So, like, the first one you unlock is a rat, and then you can go through, like, tight spaces and things, which is really interesting. And then there's, like, a ranged character and, like, a more of, like, a bruiser, tanky guard character. Um, and, and you slowly start to unlock all of – I think there's 15 in total – that you can unlock and uh, you, it could, like I said, gives you a whole bunch of different uh, powers and access to new areas. So I'm really enjoying it. I've done the first three dungeons and it's just fun. It's just satisfying. It's another one of those things where as long as you're paying even half of attention, you just go in and kill a bunch of shit and it feels really good and really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even the first dungeon Oh yeah, so I guess I've done the first four because the, technically there is a first dungeon when you when you first start the story. So yeah, I've done four dungeons then. Yeah. But one's the first one's like a little mini tutorial dungeon. Yeah, it's it's very short and sweet. And I think like like boyfriend dungeon when you're starting out, um, it feels like oh, is this the combat? It feels you know pretty simple. Um, this one gets going much quicker in that it, it is introducing you to the quick you know and fast combat. But then it quickly evolves as you 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 earn more abilities and more forms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had even gotten the point where it was still a tutorial, but it's like you try to leave the area and like, oh, no, we're waiting for a ranger. And it's like, oh, well, I just unlocked the ranger form, and you turn into the ranger, and suddenly, oh, yeah, you're a ranger. Maybe you're who, who we're looking for. You can go on ahead, pass this message along to the, mm-hmm. to the main guy. And I just think it's like it's one of those video games that gets – I get this vibe that it's like this is just going to be a fun experience, and that's – all they that's what they put into this. It's like every point of design is just to make sure you're having fun. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate that. It's not a, you know, it's not a game. Maybe it's a game that's trying, I haven't played a lot of it. Maybe it's a game that's trying to tell a, a deep <laughs> and, and varied story. Yeah, that, I mean, the story so far does seem very simplistic. It's like you wake up, you don't have any memories or anything. You leave the house and you come upon, like, your next door neighbor who is, like, this big, huge, famous wizard, but he's missing, and then you go to the castle, and the king's like, ah, there's this crazy evil thing that's taken over, ah! <laughs> and uh, you, you know, then have to go defeat all the monsters, because the, there's this calamity is happening, and you don't know what it is. Um, and that's about as far as I've gotten, but uh, like I said, I've probably played a few hours of it now, and it's um, it doesn't seem to be a very complicated story, but it's it doesn't need a complicated story, so that's kind of nice. <laughs> and uh, I'm at the point now, the dungeon that I just did introduced a new combat mechanic that I really like. So each of your different characters has a different, like, damage type. So your rat is dark damage, your um, your ranger and your guard are sharp damage, and there's, like, sharp and blunt and light and dark, I think. And some enemies in dungeons won't actually take damage unless you first, like, break their shield, and you break their shield by dealing a specific type of damage to them. So you have to start to get good at, like, swapping between your different forms while you're, like, in the middle of combat when, like, new enemies come around the corner and join in, and you're like, oh, man, but I can't do anything to that guy until I bite him as the rat, and then I can smack him as the guard, and then I can shoot him as the ranger. And it's it's really uh, starts to get really dynamic really quickly. So... Um, I don't know how long of a game it is, but it's it's very small. The the download was less than a gig, so mm-hmm. um, yeah. Like and like I said, it's um, it's free over on Game Pass, less than thirty bucks on, uh, Canadian over on Steam. So 
depending on your platform of choice, I think um, Ryan and I are going to try to get through it for next week. So that will be our, our main topic next week. If you guys want to uh, play along with us, go and check out Nobody Saves the World. I uh, wanted to thank everyone again for all of the awesome messages and effort you put into our 500th, uh, uh, 500th episode. Really wouldn't be the same without you guys. And uh, if you want to support us, support the show, you can either join the Discord at bit.ly slash TGI Discord, or you can head on over to patreon.com slash thegamersin. We are looking for our February patrons. So if you'd like to support the show again, that is patreon.com slash thegamersin. We got, like, oh, my God. So this is our 500th episode. We thought we were going to be sitting back, chilling, reminiscing, being all nostalgic, and then Microsoft this morning blew my phone up at 8.30 a.m. So Xbox slash Microsoft is set to buy Activision Blizzard for 70 Seven zero billion with a B dollars, which is ten times the size of the crazy huge acquisition that we talked about a few months ago when Bethesda was purchased by Microsoft. We were like, oh my God, seven billion dollars? That's so many billions. Bethesda's amazing. They're worth so much money. What's Microsoft even doing? Well, fast forward to this morning, they're spending 10 times as much to acquire Activision Blizzard. So um, Activision Blizzard is actually Activision Blizzard King, uh, King being the mobile gaming portion of the company um, that makes Candy Crush. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, I guess, King was acquired by Activision Blizzard, that was, I think, around like a $6 billion sale. So, you know, King is is... We always talk here because, you know, we Activision is the parent company. Most of the games that um, at least I play are Blizzard, are Blizzard properties, so we tend to drop the K part of ABK. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, King is, is not an insufficient partner uh, within Activision Blizzard. So, uh, so yeah, $70 billion. Um, and so the acquisition is set to happen within Microsoft. Um, fiscal year 2023, which ends in June of that year, so approximately 18 months from now. And uh, there have been kind of mixed reactions to this overall, I think, this morning. So there's a few different um, perspectives to consider here, I think. Um, from the outside looking in, personally, as a fan of Blizzard Games who who does play a lot of their properties, I'm excited excited by the potential for new leadership. And I say that there have been kind of um, competing reports, I guess, about whether or not uh, we're actually finally going to get rid of that piece of trash human, Bobby Kotek. But um, he's going to stay on for now, but there are rumors that he will leave once the acquisition is done. But if nothing else, the post from um, Microsoft this morning, from Xbox this morning, uh, Phil Spencer actually put one out on the Xbox news site that basically said, um, once the acquisition is complete, Activision Blizzard, like, reports to me. So even if (laughs) somehow Bobby Kotek doesn't leave, uh, he now is going to have um, someone to answer to. So... Uh, 
um, that makes me happy because I feel like um, for a very, 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 very long time now, a lot of the decisions made across Blizzard properties, and I'm going to speak just to Blizzard because I don't want to, um, I don't play enough Activision games to know, like I'm not a huge COD person, so I don't know if all the same sort of themes are happening over there. But from a Blizzard perspective, a lot of the decisions that they have made, including things like Hearthstone Mercenaries being added into the game, um, including a lot of, like, the skins content, including a lot of the decisions on the WoW side of things, World of Warcraft side of things, have felt like they are very profit-driven and less about gameplay, more about money. And I understand companies need to make money, but I also believe that if you make a good game, people will give you money. So <laughs> they started to lean into more predatory monetization, and that made their games worse. So I'm hoping that by being acquired and, and putting some new people in charge, we may see, I mean, obviously Microsoft has a gajillion resources, so maybe they're less worried about nickel and diming people and less worried about getting titles out all the time because they have so many different studios. It's like all the pressure isn't on Blizzard anymore to do something every single year that's like a AAA release. So maybe we'll start seeing a little bit more of a return to how they used to be able to develop games, which was like, I mean, soon TM, ready when it's ready, like that kind of a mentality. Blizzard hasn't really had that for a while. It seems like the, the delays that they've had have very much been like, we would put this out, but we can't because it's actually hot garbage and we know we don't have any, like, <laughs> I don't know fan credit anymore like you guys aren't going to give us the benefit of the doubt and let us fix stuff like if we release one more broken product you're gone so <laughs> I, yeah um i think there there's kind of that perspective is is the change in leadership and the potentially more resources going to to activision blizzard developers that that i'm pretty stoked about yeah it, it's uh it's a weird one when you look at acquisitions because um i've, I've seen you know very very little takes of like wow it's weird to get excited about equity these are billions of dollars being thrown around by billion you know trillion dollar companies and whatever mm -hmm. and like I get that take like yeah you don't have billions of dollars neither do I but I think that when you look at this specific acquisition and this is day one of of this story lots more is going to come out and and lots is coming out. It's not even finalized yet, right? Like they still have to go through all the regulations and yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm I'm literally hand waving, like I'm waving my hand because I don't even know all of the things that billionaires do in order to buy each other. It's not something that's come up in my life. <laughs> so this is basically just like they're at, yeah they're at a point that they've reached an agreement between the two companies, right? So Microsoft is now in a position to buy Activision Blizzard, uh, but it's not like final final. They need to get like. I don't know, approval or something. Again, hand wavy. <laughs> there's, there's some, you know, teeth to God and some eyes to cross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, I'm not a billionaire. Maybe I got that wrong. But I think that um, when you look at this acquisition, it's a little different. You know, I, I think when you look at acquisitions, it can be, um, oh, no, what are they going to do to this company? But, like, some of the background story we're seeing, uh, you know, specific to Bobby Kotick, specific to the situation and Activision Blizzard and how Microsoft has been approaching uh, and, and dealing with that, 
there's been a lot of um, in the news, a lot of platform holders, you know, Microsoft, uh, Sony, even Nintendo, commenting on the situation at mm-hmm. Blizzard. And um, <laughs> my favorite take is like. You know, there's the headline of, like, Xbox reevaluating Activision Blizzard, relationship with Activision Blizzard, and then the next one is, like, buys them for $70 billion. And, you know, I, uh, somebody might look at that and be like, oh, that's that's a terrible thing. And I think, well, maybe, you know, if they are serious about bettering the video game industry, like, there's a lot of positives that can be seen here. And, I, I mean, of course there are negatives. The thing is, the board is never going to do what the board needs to do, which is clean house at mm-hmm. the highest level. But a larger company acquiring a smaller company is going to do exactly that clean house. And I think that what they're interested in is the IPs, and I'm assuming the devs. Yeah. Uh, and so they don't give a shit about the top people. And to be honest, neither do we. We haven't for a long time. They've done horrible, awful, terrible things, and they've given way too much money to way too many awful men. Yep. So I think that there's, like, there's the devs at the bottom that we love and want to support that really, really like the properties that they're working on, and they pour a lot of themselves into those things. And then you've got the larger company with the resources to let them do that. You don't need the middlemen. Fuck all of them. They've had enough. Like, get rid of them. Clean house. And so I think those are the people they're going to get rid of. They want the talent. They want the IP. And that's at the bottom. So... I expect they'll probably keep a lot of the dev team and then get rid of some of the weight at the top. Um, yeah. Well, and and that's uh, capitalism, like right? Like the only way this problem is going to be because we we would discuss it every week. Like, how are they going to fix this issue? And at the end of the day, the only way that the way that Activision Blizzard was set up, the only way it was going to be fixed is if someone paid them to fix it. And I think mm-hmm. like this isn't them paying them to fix it. This is them paying them to leave. I do acknowledge that that feels really bad. Like, I know I obviously am no big supporter of upper management at Activision Blizzard, and it really sucks that some of the worst people out of all of the horrible stories we've been hearing over the last almost year now, um, those people are the ones that are going to walk away with millions and millions and millions of dollars. And so I know that that feels bad, but it's one of those like rip the bandaid off situations where just get it done, get them out and we can build something better when they're gone. And to that point, um, if Bobby Kotek is ousted as part of being acquired, then he is owed almost $300 million, which is really disgusting. However, if he is fired with cause, he gets, like, pocket change. And, I mean, like, when I say pocket change, it's, like, $300,000. It's it's more than I make in a decade. (laughs) But the point is that... um, it's basically like nothing in the face of the $300 million payout that he would be due if he's just let go as part of an acquisition, which means there's a $300 million incentive for Microsoft to actually investigate Bobby Kotek and his role in all of these horrible HR stories that we've been hearing and the way that women have been treated at Activision Blizzard. And if they can prove cause they basically kick him out scot-free as opposed to having to pay him out this $300 million paycheck. So, I mean, obviously I don't, you know, understand all the ins and outs. I'm not a contract lawyer. I'm not an HR person. I'm, you know, whatever. But to me, from the outside looking in, that looks to me like a good thing and that maybe there's a way that 
Bobby Kotek doesn't get a $300 million payout. (laughs) That would make me pretty happy. I'm sure he's still got, you know, Blizzard stock money out the wazoo, but, you know, at least we wouldn't be paying him any extra. (laughs) Well, I think that was part of the conversation I'd seen online was, you know, he's already a millionaire, so giving him more millions is... It, does it change? Like, if you've got 10 bucks in your pocket and someone gives you 10 bucks, it's like, sweet, I got 20. Like, it doesn't change your life. It just means you have a little bit more money in your pocket. I don't, again, once you get above, like, a certain amount of money, it's hard to sort of quantify. Uh, it, the point is, he's got lots of money. He's going to get a little bit more money. And it's an outcome that you – it's the only way he was ever going to leave, right, is he yeah. was going to leave with a lot of money because that's how these people work. So, I mean, it's not an unexpected outcome, which I think is why, even though it's negative and I don't want to see him prosper, at the same time, it's, like I said, rip the Band-Aid off. It's something we just have to accept and move on because it's going to be better for the company, the employees, and us as, like, customers, like mm-hmm. gamers, going forward. So, you know what? I can I can swallow that pill if I have to just to get him the fuck out. Like, I am done with him, and I have mm-hmm. been for a long time. Everyone is. And, you know, I, I don't realistically think that there is any world where he stays on past the, like, one year to 18 months. Like, once the acquisition is complete, like, I, I don't see him either being kept on or, you know, it, like it's, he's just such a stain on the company now that it wouldn't make any sense to keep him in charge. Especially with the comments from Phil Spencer, yeah. you know, prior to all of this, which when you find out they're working on a, like, deal behind closed doors, it's like, first of all, that to me tells me that everything that Bobby Kotek has said about, like, oh, I'll step down if it would help. Like, that was bullshit. Like, we knew it was bullshit, but now, like, we know it was bullshit. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, you know, bullshit, you know, flying around yeah. with this. And I, and I think, like, uh, there's starting to be stories about how the deal came to be. And, like, it was supposedly post uh, all of the news reports from, you know, about Activision Blizzard and everything that was going on there. And it was Phil Spencer calling, you know, Kodak, starting those conversations. And Kodak was, you know, originally not willing to sell, but, like, he's – in this specific instance, he was kind of cornered by the board in the sense that, like, if you get an offer, you're going to take that, to, I assume, you're going to take that to the board. That's your responsibility to the yeah, board. Yes. Um, Business things. I assume. Uh, like, if someone says, like, we want to give you $70 billion, uh, yeah, I don't think you can you can uh, not bring that to the board. Yeah, and you can't unilaterally make the decision to exactly. say no. So he would have had to bring it to the board, and I guess the story goes is, like, he thought about, like, he had no choice but to sell at that stage because, like, if you get a solid offer, I think it's, like, you know, there's a lot of market cap tweets going around today. And uh, they were saying it's 45% above, you know, market value, so it's a it's a, it's a good deal for them. Which is also kind of ridiculous. It's, like, you manage the company so poorly that you drive your stock down to the point where you can actually be acquired. It's still $70 billion, obviously, but, like, you put yourself in a position because you're doing such a shitty job that you then are cheap enough to be bought out for 45% over market value. But it's like you drove that market value down. So, Mm -hmm. like, even at $70 billion and, quote, unquote, 45% above market value, like, Microsoft's probably still getting a decent deal on this, and especially with all the IPs that they're getting. Um, I think that they're they're definitely going to come out on top here. And, uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of ridiculous. You do such a shit job. Like, it just feels like 
capitalism in a nutshell. <laughs> like, you do such a shit job, and yet somehow on the other end of it, you get $70 billion. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, to, to talk about the IP specifically, um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, specifically Overwatch and COD because they are multi-platform properties, and we saw with the Bethesda acquisition that, you know, new things coming out are going to be Xbox exclusive. So Starfield, for example, which is coming out this year, is going to be exclusive to Xbox. So there were some questions about Overwatch 2, which is coming out, um, hopefully, maybe, potentially, who knows, (laughs) Um, coming out in 2023. Uh, Same with Diablo 4. Uh, Diablo 4, less so. Uh, I think that people are kind of assuming Diablo 4 will probably be Xbox slash PC exclusive. Um, but Overwatch 2 and Call of Duty, because they are multiplayer, multi-platform properties, wondering what this means for those IPs. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like, there's obviously been a lot of, like, similar when Bethesda got uh, acquired, a lot of, like, well, you know, we don't, yeah, we, we like PlayStation. You know, it's a, it's a weird conversation where they don't want to straight up say, like, no, it's going exclusive, but as, you know, the the transaction was completed and games started to come out, yeah, of course, Xbox is going to make these uh, exclusive. And it, and it benefits them to put them on Game Pass, right? Yeah, and Xbox is in this kind of interesting, like, situation where they are also making Microsoft Windows, right? So they're already in most homes. And so it's it's kind of, I guess, they're the best positioned of, like, the of Xbox, um, PlayStation, or Nintendo to say, you know what, we're just going to keep this in our ecosystem because their ecosystem includes a whole bunch of PCs. It's not just the Xbox in the way that Sony is just the PlayStation. So it's kind of a, a, a definitely an eyebrow raise for me because I think that they're probably smarter to keep those properties specifically on many different platforms just because then they're reaching more gamers and you need as many people playing as possible to keep those games viable because, I mean, like, Overwatch is funded mostly by a loot box system. Why would you ever <laughs> limit the number of platforms where people can go and buy your loot boxes? And I don't know how many, like, PlayStation console gamers are going to be incentivized enough to become PC gamers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um they may or may not actually make that switch for something like COD or something like Overwatch 2. So I think those are the two biggest questions in terms of exclusivity. But then another question comes up with World of Warcraft because they currently have a mandatory subscription model. As far as I know, and I think we've we've talked about this before, and, and of course I'm blanking, um, as far as I know, they are, oh, you know what, I think Final Fantasy has a subscription too, but, like, only for their newer content. Like, you can play all their past expansions for free, but then you need a subscription to play the most recent one. I think that's how it works. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but anyways, World of Warcraft is one of the last ones to have a required subscription for basically all content. You can play up to, well, it used to be level 20, but then they squished things, so it's probably, like, level 10 now. 
um, for free, but after that you need a subscription, and that's basically like you get to do a starting zone. Like it's very much like a, a tutorial, dip your toe in and get addicted type of a situation. Um, but their main business model is is to be a subscription, which is really interesting when the company that just bought them has a subscription service. I, for one, as someone who pays a World of Warcraft subscription, wouldn't mind if it got lumped into Game Pass so I could stop paying them every month and just pay for one thing that I'm paying for instead of two things. So for me, it could, like, chop my subscriptions in half. (laughs) Yeah. No, that would be nice. I think that, you know, when you look at WoW specifically and compare it to um, the Bethesda acquisition with Elder Scrolls Online, um, Elder Scrolls Online's base game is available uh, as part of Game Pass, which is a purchase, a purchasable item. Um, but the, the subscription stuff, which isn't required to play, is, is above and beyond that. Uh, right. Even with Ultimate. I think with WoW... Wow is an example of like from a monetary standpoint, it's a don't don't touch it if it's not broken. Like the subscription mm-hmm. stuff is still working when content is good. Yeah, but content has been bad for multiple years now. Like, yeah, and I, and I'm not just saying that to be a dick to World of Warcraft. Like, I mean, realistically, like numbers are going down. Feedback is generally negative. There's not a whole lot of people that are really enjoying the game to the point that. You know, when all this news broke and when all these terrible things happened in the past year, like, people have just walked away. And Mm -hmm. these are the kind of people that would not, could not have walked away for any other reasons. Like, you've seen so many stories about, like, ah, I got divorced because of World of Warcraft, like, not hyperbolically, you know? So, I mean, like, these are people who, come hell or high water, played World of Warcraft, and they've walked away in the past few years. And uh, so I think that um, maybe it does need some fixing, especially when a World of Warcraft subscription gets you dick all except for the game. Like, really and truly, like, it doesn't let you, it lets you log in. That's the only thing it does. When you look at other subscription services, even if, like, ESO is the one I'm the most familiar with, where it's not required to play the game, both ESO and World of Warcraft, you have to pay for expansions. So there's the subscription to World of Warcraft doesn't include that content. It includes patches, but every game does. Um, and then if you look at the ESO subscription, like you get extra inventory space. You get um, in-game currency to spend, or not in-game, I guess in-store currency to spend. But you get like their special extra currency. You get a chunk of that every month. Like, you get actual tangible benefits. You get all the access to all the DLC because they do, um, like, smaller pieces of DLC that include, like, dungeons as opposed to, like, the larger expansions. Um, and those are, I think, somewhere around, like, 10 or 15 bucks each maybe. Um, so as long as you keep an active subscription, you don't have to pay any of those fees. Like, there's a lot that goes into an ESO subscription where World of Warcraft, like, we let you get past the login screen. What? Like, they've just, they've been the big boy too long. They're not keeping up with everybody else. So if access to the game is the only thing you're locking behind a subscription, why not just lock it behind the Game Pass subscription? Yeah, no, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but that's a really, you know, strong argument for it, you know? Um, and, yeah, like, Build it in so that, uh, yeah, you can subscribe just to WoW or for a couple extra bucks a month, you can get everything else we got. 
I think they would see a lot, like just a, a lot more people. I think would would try World of Warcraft out if it was just on Game Pass, which is a subscription they're already paying. I think that you know paying fifteen or twenty bucks a month is, is just too much for a lot of people. Um, and so I think it's definitely a deterrent to getting into World of Warcraft, especially now when World of Warcraft is a like fifteen year old game, fifteen plus year old game. It's just a much harder sell. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the this is the thing where when we look at this an acquisition, you're like, it's, it could be tough to be really positive about one company buying another, but in this specific instance, like, there's so much that Xbox is doing right uh, in the video game industry right now. Like, even looking at Halo Infinite as a game that was supposed to launch alongside a new console, and they decided to delay it a year to get it right. Um, and, and they did. They, I think they nailed it. They delivered a, a proper, you know, follow-up to Halo 5 with Halo Infinite, uh, both from a campaign and a multiplayer standpoint. And that year of extra development could only be possible by leadership that supports those type of decisions. It's very rare that you get a company that publicizes a release date, attaches it to a, to a next-generation console, and then delays at what essentially was the last minute, like the last month before the game came out. And I think that that can only serve Activision Blizzard in, in great ways where uh, I think it will allow um, Blizzard to go back to other uh, other IPs that they have and, and have a second look at StarCraft. You know, mm-hmm. have a second look at a, at a Warcraft RTS that, yeah, may not sell as well as some of their other titles, but... At this stage, like Microsoft doesn't care about, they're looking for content. They want these IPs to to flourish. They don't care if they're not billion dollar games. You know, mm-hmm. like look, Psychonauts Two is an example. Like they bought Double Fine, and they they gave Double Fine the resources and the time they needed to finish a game, uh, a sequel to a game that's been long waited, and it came out to critical success, and mm-hmm. it's been doing really well. Uh, it got reward or awards and whatnot. So. I think that this is good. There's a, there's a part of Blizzard that we've heard about for a while that is basically like their think tank, which is like trying to come up with the next big thing. And you're right, like the Psychonauts 2 story is a really good example of how those devs on those teams may flourish. Like if they're just like don't have Activision and Bobby breathing down their necks, probably literally because literally, he's such a fucking creep. But, like, if they don't have that pressure, like, maybe we'll actually see some really cool, really interesting new IPs coming out of Blizzard and support for some old stuff that, you know, wasn't a big moneymaker. But I don't think Microsoft necessarily cares as much about that. Like, they're so big (laughs) that they can, you know, like, take some of those. They can make riskier plays. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, exclusivity, I think, like, this one is a little bit, this acquisition is a little bit different from Bethesda, like, as you said, with the the multiplayer games, I think Overwatch and Call of Duty coming to other platforms, I think you're going to see less, you know, uh, marketing deals that PlayStation has obviously had with uh, Call of Duty with their DLC and stuff, but I think those games still come out on those platforms, but Diablo 4, as a PC sort of you know, mainstay game that has, uh, the franchise has been ported to console, absolutely I can see that one being Xbox only and PC. Um, that one doesn't require a, a, a vibrant multiplayer community, it just requires people to be to be playing, and I think that uh, 
both PC and Xbox is fine, but like I think they're going to be more strategic with this one. Um, whereas with Bethesda, I really think like yeah, eventually all those single player games that we know mm-hmm. and love are, are yeah, going to be exclusive. Exclusive, yeah. So yeah. And, I mean, there is another, like, larger conversation that we're not going to have this week because, honestly, much like a lot of the lawsuits we've covered lately, um, it's very much beyond me to have these conversations, but there are a lot of financial people specifically having conversations around the idea of antitrust and monopolies and things like that, and those are laws that I do not understand, so I do not feel, (laughs) you know, like, basically, like, I don't want to say smart enough to comment on, but definitely informed enough to comment on, so um, there is that part of the conversation, too. I didn't want you guys to think that we were just glossing over it and, and, you know, not going into it, but, um, yeah, I would say, um, if you're interested, there's a lot of people out there writing articles and doing shows specifically just on that kind of legal side of things, so if that interests you, um, definitely go and check those out. And um, if we if we find any in the next week or so, we'll we'll put them in the show notes for you guys next week because I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this next week. But um, yeah, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed our take on this. It's a huge story. This is a very like typing hot takes <laughs> edition of Gamers In because, like I said, this is just it's such a, a big story. There's a lot to wrap our heads around. We're probably going to be talking about this again next week. Um, so, yeah, if you want to share your thoughts on um, Microsoft and Xbox acquiring Activision Blizzard, then again, for the 800th time in this episode, go and check out our Discord. It's bit.ly slash TGI Discord where you can join in on all of our awesome conversations. We have a great community over there, as you guys saw off the top of the episode. You guys are so great, so amazing, so invested in the show, and we wouldn't have done 500 episodes if it wasn't for you. So thank you guys so much for hanging out with us every week. We really appreciate it. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so. I'm Jocelyn at Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. and pulled the chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. I'm happy to report that uh, Horizon had its week in the sun, and once again, uh, a highly reviewed game has come out shortly thereafter. Uh, so, hope you all are enjoying Elden Ring coming out on Friday. Uh, there's two more days of Horizon, so here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I will say... This time, at least, because Horizon Zero Dawn did get such good reviews and this isn't the first entry in an unproven series, I did see a lot more 
like reviews and people talking about Forbidden West as opposed to when um, Horizon Zero Dawn came out. So I think that um, it's done well, probably well enough to stay in people's consciousness and actually get noticed um, a whole lot better than Zero Dawn did with um, Breath of the Wild when that came out. So uh, I do think there's a lot of people really looking forward to Elden Ring. It's getting great reviews. I think that uh, if you, and basically the reviews that I've seen today have said, if you like From Software games, if you like, you know, Demon Souls, Bloodborne, Dark Souls, those kind of games, you're going to like Elden Ring. It's really good. It's probably the best that they've ever done. Like, get in there and play it. But if you don't like those games, you won't like Elden Ring. <laughs> so those were the kind of reviews that I was looking for. That was kind of the big question in my head because a lot of the marketing did seem to be, like, um, not necessarily shying away, but, like, making it seem a little bit more accessible, potentially, or a little bit different, as opposed to the marketing around some of their other titles. So, I mean, I'm still going to check it out. Um, I told Matt because, uh, so my husband was really interested in playing it, and I said, I'm like, okay, you can get it on whatever platform you want, but it can't be the PlayStation. And he's like, why? It comes out on PlayStation. I'm like, because I'm going to have that thing locked down for the next, like, probably six weeks to get through Forbidden West. So <laughs> you should know the PlayStation is unavailable to you. So you can choose Xbox, you can choose PC, but you cannot choose PlayStation. That shit is mine. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it's one of those... It's one of those games, and here's the thing, like, I think that, um, you know, Breath of the Wild and, and Horizon Zero Dawn were uh, a similar sort of open world RPG, you know, action combat game, whereas I think when you compare, it's hard to compare Horizon Forbidden West and Elden Ring, because, like, I was, I was playing Horizon, and, and I've seen a lot of the re- reviews for Elden Ring, and I thought to myself, like, yeah, that's. I think it's awesome that that game is getting such great reviews and it's and it is doing well. It's not my uh, type of game that I that I'm going to play. And like I've heard a lot of people say, like it's it's an 80 plus hour game. It's a huge game as well. Like I, I think even if I were interested in both, um, it would be impossible to play both. Mm-hmm. But that is the that is the beauty of these being different games is that I I can I can play Horizon. And a lot of the other folks who want to play Elden Ring, like, I look forward to hearing people's reactions, but I think, like, you use the word, um, accessible, uh, I think, a, I think a lot of people were kind of saying, like, it's, it's, it's more approachable, but it is still in that Dark Souls vein, and I watched one clip where, and again, the, the, it's, it's just not my type of game, but I watched one clip where, where the person was running through a, like a crowd of enemies, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that is still Dark Souls, but in a you know really cool, well fleshed out open world, and like that sounds fantastic, and I, I do want to see some of that game, um, but I, it's likely that I won't play it myself, but I, I do want to see it. I, I want to see some some folks play it because it does look interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they say it's one of their best worlds that they've put together, and and everything I've been hearing about the world crafting has been really positive so it's honestly yeah. funny like a lot of the comments uh, that i've seen come across you know twitter today because today the embargo was up today was the embargo lifting yeah yeah it was mostly about you know story and and feeling and not a lot of combat no, not a lot mm-hmm. of conversation of combat so 
which combat has really been front and center in a lot of their titles before. So it is interesting that that's the way that reviews have kind of gone, because I think that that's one of the things, though I know the Souls worlds have have a lot of lore, but you really have to kind of look for it. And it mm-hmm. seems like they've taken more of a front and center approach with the story alongside their combat this time, which honestly endears me a little bit more to their properties. So I'm thinking I'm going to check out Elden Elden Ring, especially since uh, since Matt's interested in playing it. I know we're going to buy it. So I think I'm going to at least poke my head into it for next week just to give you guys uh, the kind of opinion of someone who doesn't like Souls games to say either like, yeah, okay, don't, don't do this if you're like me and you don't like the Souls games you know, don't play Elden Ring, it's not going to be for you. Or if it is, you know, enough to, to kind of, like, turn my head and, and get me into it. Because I, you're definitely right, these are two giant games. Uh, so I just looked up, just out of curiosity, um, how long to beat uh, Horizon Forbidden West. And apparently the main story is about 25 hours. If you do the main story and extras, it's on average of 38 hours. Completionist is on average 65 hours, but can go up as high as 90 hours. So Horizon Forbidden West is a very big game. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, Ryan, uh, I'm going to – so I'm sending you something in Discord now. Sweet. Uh, I didn't want to tell you this before, but I just sent you a photo that I took before, the, before we recorded the podcast of how much of the map I have revealed. So – Given this, I've so I've been in two zones. I've been in the Daunt and I've been in Plain Song. How long do you think I've played Forbidden West? Well, uh, as someone who's I think right around the same place, uh, I'm looking at the map now and like yeah, we've we've pretty much done. I think you've done more than I have, but I think we're we're in the same area. But like, but I've got like so all of the Daunt is revealed because I know you guys can't see this image right now, but yeah. all of the Daunt is revealed. And probably about half of the area of Plainsong is revealed. Yes. So, yeah, how long do you think I've played? Ten hours? I've played 20 hours of oh Forbidden West. I mean, there's yeah. a lot to do in the there game. There is so much to do. There's so much to do. There are so many side quests. I think it took me at least ten hours even just to get out of the daunt. So I've done all of the side quests that were available to me back there. And now I'm like... I tried to focus a little bit more on the main story, but I've also been really paying attention to the levels that it recommends on the main story because some of these boss fights are hard, like in in a really fun and interesting way. But uh, yeah, they're really difficult. And they, I don't know uh, uh, your thoughts yet <laughs> because we we literally didn't talk about Forbidden West at all before the show, guys. So you're getting all of our like raw reactions and opinions and everything because spoiler alert basically this entire show is going to be about forbidden west so <laughs> but uh yeah i'm basically i've been paying a lot of attention to the level requirements because there are a lot of systems in this game it's like they took the systems from last game but then expanded on them and it's very complicated yeah yeah there's um, it, it it is a big game. Uh, I've uh, I again I have I think I spent a lot of time in the dawn and I I'll say this like having maybe an hour hour and a half each time I sit down to play it. Um, I've really had to like train my brain to be like no you're playing an open world game now. There's a lot to do. 
Um, most of the stuff you're doing feels important because it's mm-hmm. all all the conversations are mo-capped. They're all voice acted. Like these are all people living in this world that is being threatened. And, and I mean, we'll come back to yeah. that. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a really good point that they have done all of the mocap and the voice work and stuff, even on all of the side quests. And I did notice a slight difference between like some of like the errand level quests because there's again so many different kinds of questing that you can do in Horizon Forbidden West, and they've broken it all out. Like, you've got um, quests for all your tall necks, you've got quests for your ruins, you've got, you know, your main quests, your side quests, your errands, you've got your contract jobs. Like, they really have broken it out into what kind of quests are available to you. And I know that was one of the things that you said, so I've been paying a lot of attention to it in Forbidden West, that kind of, like, pulled you out of the fantasy of Zero Dawn was that some of those side quests, didn't have very good, like, not necessarily voice acting, but, like, uh, animation, (laughs) and some Mm -hmm. of the faces were really weird, and I have noticed, like, some things where the animation isn't great, Um, but at the same time, this game is so huge, there's bound to be a glitch or two, you know, so it's nothing compared to, like, oh, what was it, was it Mass Effect Andromeda, where they didn't have faces, yeah. Where it was just the eyeballs that rendered? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry to rip on Andromeda again, but it is very easy to pull those examples off the top of my brain. Uh, so, yeah, there's nothing on that level. There's been no. sometimes, um, like, they'll keep looking in a direction that's really kind of weird for too long, and then their, like, head kind of, like, snaps back and, like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be looking at Aloy, and it's just, it's not the way a normal person moves. But yeah. that's only, I've only noticed that like once or twice in 20 hours. So in terms of the comparison between your impressions of Zero Dawn to Forbidden West, like have you noticed that kind of uptick in quality? Oh, yeah, I've definitely noticed the, uh, this is a, a sequel turn through. They've done a lot of work to um, upgrade the experience in terms of, you know, mocap. And I think where mocap uh, has presented, like the struggle for me is like on some of those side quests, um, it's, it's just, it, it can be too much. Like the, the, there it's over, there's a lot, there's a little bit of overacting sometimes. Um, okay. <laughs> and it doesn't really bug me like to a point where like, this is, this is the extent of like the issues I've had with the game so far is like, it doesn't, it doesn't impact the enjoyment. It actually kind of makes it more fun. Cause like you'll have these quests. I think one of them was, um, it was a side quest before you get to Baron Light, which is like the, the second big city. And, and it's not even that big. I'm sure there are bigger. It's not that big, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's I'm like, it's the, yeah, it's the first real kind of main city that you're introduced to because there's kind of a smaller settlement that you come across, and yeah. then Baron Light is like the 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 minding the gap and the watchers on the wall type of yeah. a vibe. <laughs> yeah, like on uh, you know on the on the line between you know well between. Uh, and this is the other thing, too. Like, this is a direct sequel to the point where, like, I think there is a small gap in time between the first and second, which I do yeah. appreciate because most games will be like, nah, you got to read the novel and watch the YouTube series and listen to the podcast that's exclusive to Apple Podcasts in order to understand <laughs> what happened between these yeah, two Yeah, no, they, they picked this up so quickly. It was yeah. like they basically have a couple throwaway lines that I had to go look up because it happened so early about um, how basically Aloy's been in the wilds chasing down leads for a couple of months, and that's also how they describe how she's lost a lot of her equipment. 
is she says like, oh yeah, it's been a rough ride, and uh, you know I've been out here on my own for a few months, and you know I've lost yeah. all my stuff basically. Um, not to mention, basically. yeah, <laughs> not to mention her spear that she um, she loses her spear in the end of the first game when she stabs it into Hades, right? So oh. um, yeah, so they they kind of explain away the time and stuff, but they really pick up. I found both with the story itself, as well as, like, her personality and her confidence, there's no kind of reset on that. It's They pick Aloy and her character up right as if it's coming straight out of Horizon Zero Dawn. And I really appreciated that because she's got this confidence now because and she, like, still is very Aloy and that she hates being referred to as, like, the savior. She's like, no, just call me Aloy. Like, whatever. This is dumb. Um, but she also will assert herself to people in leadership roles because she's like no like I know who I am now and I have a greater purpose than you will ever understand please get out of my way I don't have any time for your tribalism bullshit mm-hmm. <laughs> so like they kind of kept that attitude which I think serves the story really well um but, but sorry back to back to your point where you were oh. talking about the daunt <laughs> yeah yeah no, no so uh in the daunt there's a quest where um you you just see one of these guards like dragging a dead body and he's very animated about it like it's like it happens all the time and uh and it was very overacted but i found it like even though it was very morbid and aloy also agreed with me she's just like what are you doing like have more empathy have more care for your yeah because there's still somebody up above in the mountains (laughs) screaming for help and this guard is like "Eh, i'll just come back later and you know, like, <laughs> drag that dead body, too. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and again, I, I think, like, maybe it's not, it's not a pro, like, it's, it's just, it's just kind of worth pointing out because, like, it's probably not an issue with the design or the writing. It's just, it's that universe. Like, because these, these characters that are living this moment to moment are more used to this world than, than we are, right? Like, they are, that, that was the cool thing about the first one and, and now this one is that, like, They've they've given these personalities to this world that are just so unique to this game, and and it, went, it shines pretty brightly. Like that specific scene, I thought was like this guard could give two shits. Yeah, about like the blight and all of these big problems that you're dealing with, and all he can think is, I have to drag another dead body. God damn it! <laughs> Why is this my life? Exactly. And Taylor's like, I have the weight of the world on my shoulders, and he's like, I don't care. I have the weight of a dead body on my shoulders, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I know maybe people listening to this are probably like, but but Jocelyn, like you know, the world's ending. Like, why are you running around running errands? But like. The game makes it clear that you're levels. on... What? That's why. I need <laughs> levels. <laughs> True. Okay. No, sorry. Continue. No, no, no. That's a good point. That generally is my, is my approach to these games, for sure. The reason it's not a problem is because, like, yeah, it is the the the, the world is ending very slowly. I mean, if she doesn't stop it, yes, the world will end. There is a timer in the background, but, like, she realizes, like, she has... She's, she's not the... She's not going to, like, run past everybody to get to the... Because she doesn't even know what she needs to do. At the, she's, mm-hmm. Like, in this instance, like, she's following a signal that goes out west. Turns out silence. We, we figured out he was the bad guy in the post-credit. Aloy's figuring this out, you know, because the information wasn't presented well, to her. Well, but, but is he? Is he? Hmm? Is he, is he not the bad guy? 
Well, see, and this is this is what I find so compelling about the story in the world of Forbidden West. And I don't want to spoil anything at all. Um, but I do think, uh, so obviously if you're in the dot and everything else, then you've seen what's basically presented to you in essentially the tutorial. And that's where, like, you go back to Meridian and you have to climb up the tower and, and figure out where the signal is coming from and all that kind of stuff. And then silence has left you a message. I'm assuming you've done that if you're in the dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does. Okay. He leaves a message. He basically says, like, oh, come and find me. You know, uh, you know, he's, he's well, yeah, but kind of, but like what he, what he, so what he actually says yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> is, is basically like, um, he's, he's kind of like explaining why he had to lie to Aloy and she definitely takes the like, you're the bad guy and I hate you and how could you do this line, but the world and the lore of Horizon really makes you kind of think about it. And, you know, you can almost see his side and it's not as like mustache twirly evil as you would think, because he's like looking at this from, you know, like a lot of background and understanding through all of his research that he's done over the years of understanding old world technology and saying, Hey, wait a minute. Like, this is a sentient AI. Like, what can we learn from it? What do we know? What don't we know? And it was a like, maybe we shouldn't have just straight up destroyed it. So, you know, like, I helped you, Aloy, to make sure that it didn't bring about an extinction event. But I also made sure that we didn't destroy it before getting something out of it, mm -hmm. or at least, like, trying to understand how all of this works. Which, when your entire existence on the in, like in the world is dependent on machines and their terraforming operations, maybe understanding how those work might prevent more disasters in the future. So, like he's bad, but maybe not. Like he's he's bad with a valid reason, and the only reason we think he's bad is because we're presented the story from Aloy's point of view, which is very kind of black and white, really. Like, Hades trying to destroy the world, must kill Hades, Hades didn't die, you're the bad guy. Like, True. it's not quite like that, right? Yeah, but couldn't this have been solved in, like, an email or a Microsoft Teams <laughs> meeting? Yeah, and you think, and, and so, yeah, basically he says, like, I couldn't get through to you, so I had to take drastic measures, True. and that's why I deceived you, and, and blah, 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 whatever. Like, you were too hell-bent on your, on your mission, um, and so, you know, there's definitely that deception there. And maybe if they'd had time to hash it out, it would have been different. But, you know, it, it was one of those, like, it felt a whole lot more imminent in Zero Dawn True. than uh, Forbidden West. Yeah, an email wasn't going to cut it. That makes an sense. email wasn't going to cut it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Hades would have intercepted it probably, right? True. <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a sentient evil AI. You know, I, I think, and, you know, the email. What's that going to do? Uh, I think, um, yeah, like, I, I think there are... And that's one of the core issues. I didn't play Zero Dawn. I played it at launch, played Zero Dawn at launch. Uh, I think I got through, like, the prologue when it came out on PC. So I feel like I'm missing, like, a lot of the world. Like, you know, you've got the, the Sundom and the Karja mm -hmm. and, and the, the Osiram and uh, the Nora. The Nora is just so far Aloy. Like, they, it really feels like where I'm at, like, I'm I'm just making it into the second, second prologue area, I guess, is what I'm hearing, um, and it, it very much, it feels like the game is like, here are the folks you remember from the first game, but really what we're doing is we're introducing you to a whole new world, like we're pushing you, you know, further west, 
You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's more to this world. and They do, like, they keep your allies, which I really like. You run into a lot of people that, honestly, I had forgotten were in the first game. But they do present them to you first in Meridian, and then some of them show up a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you do a lot of, like, quests out in the West that are, um, like, coming across your old allies sort of thing, which I really like that they're pulling that stuff uh, kind of back together. And I also like that they're telling the story in the same way as, like, it's almost like everything revolves around the Karja Meridian in that it was very interesting in the first game that kind of like the Karja only came out east, you know, like towards you. And they didn't really talk about any of the other like tribes and stuff. And then you find out in this game, the Karja actually invaded all of their neighbors. It's just that the ones in the west managed to push them back. So now you're kind of like bringing your allies from those familiar tribes with you into the west while also discovering these, like, new new tribes, new uh, communities, new people, and, you know, their ways of living, which are even different than the ones that you've already seen, which I kind of thought ran the gamut, right? So they, they've, kinda, they've crafted, and this is why I love Horizon so much, is that they've crafted such an interesting world with people who, like you said, Ryan, feel like they actually live in it. You know, not just that they've been put there. Yeah, yeah, they've done a they've done a really good job with this world building, and I think that's where you know there are there are a lot of similar similarities between Zero Dawn and Forbidden West in, in terms of those building blocks, not just world building, but just gameplay in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like if you played the first game and you come to this one, it's going to be very familiar in terms of like. The, the running mechanics and the and and you know uh, riding on mounts and and combat, but like they build upon that. Like there are more combat abilities for each weapon. There are different mm-hmm. types of weapons. There there's are, more weapons, yeah. yeah. So there's more weapons. There's more skill trees. There's more skills oh. within those skill trees. It's a it's really complicated, and this is where I start to almost give my first critique of the game, I would say, is that um, I really liked the combat in the first one, and I didn't necessarily think that it needed much changing. And there are some things that are kind of interesting, but because of all the different complexities and all of the different, uh, because I think they've also added more damage types. So yeah. there there used to be um, shock and frost and fire and corruption and tearing, and now to those I guess they've changed corruption to acid, and then there's one other one, I think, that's, like, plasma. There's plasma, and there's, like, purge water, or is that corruption? Oh, yeah, purge water. Yeah, I forgot about the water one, too. So, yeah, like, they've they've added more damage types, which means that there's more things to consider for both your weapon and your armor, as well as more strengths and weaknesses and complexities, again, with the machines that they're presenting to you. Which, you know, is is good because you don't want your encounters to necessarily play out exactly the same way over an 80-hour game. I get that. But um, it just, like, they throw a lot at you all of a sudden. And I think there's seven, are there six or seven skill trees? Now I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, well, there's, there's melee, um, survival, uh Range. range, yeah, stealth, uh, uh, machines, machine control. I th- maybe there is only six. I feel like there's a like there's 
a similar amount to uh, the, the previous game. I think they may have merged a few, but they're like presented in more like like tech trees in that you're, mm-hmm. you're you're kind of unlocking abilities that are then you know you're able through unlocking that you're able to unlock others and there are like special they call them valor surge moves valor yeah valor's the other valor's the other piece so like as you unlock some of the smaller abilities they feed into a larger ability unlock which then as you perform combat things whether that's getting hit or dishing out damage or dodging or whatever like everything you do within combat builds up this valor meter and then it's like an ultimate that you can perform and you equip different valor moves or like you equip different ultimates depending on what you've unlocked in these skill trees. So again, like there, it seems like there's a lot of complexity in the damage types. There's a lot of complexity in your weapons and gear. There's a lot of complexity in these skill trees and then these valor moves and all of it together was a little bit much for me. Like I felt like it was a, it was unnecessary complexity and like I say, I think it maybe had to do with making sure that it didn't start to feel repetitive or didn't start to feel exactly the same way as Zero Dawn. Um, but I'm not quite sure if it needed all of that. Um, I do find that I just like pick a few things and then basically stick to that in combat, which does mean that there's a lot more playstyles available to people and you can just pick and choose and kind of make a build and have that be it. Mm-hmm. But um, then kind of when you get into a situation with an enemy that doesn't fit your play style, you're kind of shit out of luck until you can go and do some more, like, leveling and questing and unlocking things. But I do think unlocking things comes at a pretty good pace, so there is that. Like, it's it's weird. It's like a criticism that I understand why they made the choices that they made, and it's still working out fine. I'm just kind of, it's a, it's a little bit of an eyebrow raise. Like, did you need to do this? Because <laughs> it seems like a lot, especially at the beginning. It was very overwhelming, even coming from, like, a, a fairly recent playthrough of Zero Dawn. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I think that, uh, it, like, for me, uh, playing the game, uh, it, I've had it since, you know, Friday when it came out, and I've only been able to play, like, a couple hours each night here and there. Um, there is this frustration of, like, the prologue taking 20 or so any hours. Like, we always say, like, oh, well, you know, this well, is... I don't, one- think, I don't think this is prologue. Like, no. I'm... I'm Well, uh, okay, actually, you know, this is, this is another interesting um, discussion point that's almost a critique, but basically, um, so there's what looks like maybe five or six areas on the map. The map is huge. And uh, obviously, it's all behind Fog of War. I've been avoiding all kinds of spoilers, so I don't know, like, how much of the area is actually, like, traversable versus, like, mountains or water or whatever. So there's a chance it's not as big as it looks, if that makes sense. (laughs) But uh, I think I've revealed probably, like, actually revealed maybe 30% of the map <laughs> and then or I guess like and part of that reveal is I found a tall neck and climbed it <laughs> so like with all of plain song is revealed to me because I found the tall neck not because I've been there um so yeah I think and then overall like area I've actually walked through is probably like 20 percent <laughs> maybe less so it's a very 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 big map like I say I did play for about 20 hours as so says my in-game stats and I only just 
got to the point where I'm crossing from Plainsong, like from No Man's Land, over into the Forbidden West, 20 hours into the game, and I've only just been given the bigger, grander point of the story. So I would kind of compare where I am now to getting to Meridian in the first game. And I don't, like, I think that that's fine because that was one of the things that I really liked is that it seemed like this, like, smaller experience where you had one goal, but then all of a sudden it opened up and then it opened up again. Um, That's kind of the vibe I'm getting, and I think they've done it fairly well in Forbidden West as as well as, as Zero Dawn. It was one of the things I loved the most and that sucked me into the game in the first place. But I'm curious, like, since... I'm pretty sure I'm further on than you in the main storyline because um, I think I'm about level 20. And I think the, the main story quest that I just completed recommended being, uh, I think, level 18. So um, I think I'm further than you in the main quest. So I'm curious if you feel like, I mean, you keep calling it the prologue, so I'm going to assume. <laughs> because to me, the prologue or the tutorial or whatever was just the part before you get to Meridian in Forbidden West. Like, it was just, it was the little part where you were showing, uh, uh, oh, crap, what's his name? Varl? Varl, yep. How to use his focus? Yeah. Which, by the way, you're giving him, like, candy in this game. Oh, there's a a throwaway line, like, oh, I found a bunch of them, and now I have backups. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she gives them to, like, all of her allies, and she's just like, all right, here's what's happening, and everybody gets a focus. Yeah, because she (laughs) gives no shit. It's like, she doesn't care in the sense, like, she's not, like, they they just witness a bunch of robots try to, you know, kill everybody. I think, like, she doesn't have to explain anymore. It's like, no, 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 there's more going on. Here's an iPhone. You know, yeah. <laughs> welcome to the future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, I think that when she's showing Varl how to use his focus and they make their way back to Meridian or whatever, that's like the prologue. And then the dot, I would say, is like so that's kind of I would say the same as the proving that storyline. And then I think the dot is much more like when the Nora area opens up to you a little bit more, and then the um, plain song is, like, as you first make your way to Meridian before you kind of learn more about Hades and you get sent up north and south and and yeah. you learn about the Shadow Carja. And, it, like, it starts to – that's kind of the point in Zero Dawn when it spreads out. And I think I've just gotten the spread out quest after, you know, 20 levels and 20 hours in Forbidden West. So do you feel like you're missing that, like – raison d'etre within the game, like the, the the larger story that's pushing you along, or do you feel like it's more along the lines of Zero Dawn and you're cool with that? Because I feel like it took me longer to to get to the point this time. Yes. I, I think, like, I'm not using the word prologue as, like, a critique. It's more just, like, it's called Forbidden West. We haven't made it to the Forbidden West yet. At best, we're in Act right. One, right? And I thought I was getting to the Forbidden West when I passed the, like, yeah. the Mind the Gap town and then you get there and they're like this is no man's land like the forbidden west is much further and you're like oh okay yeah <laughs> so i still have like so i just made it to the gap in the mountains that will send me into the west <laughs> right and this is the important part if if folks aren't playing the game right now to take away is that like even though you haven't made it to the forbidden west yet it doesn't feel like these areas are throwaway it doesn't feel like they're filled with blow like there is stuff that you can ignore. There is stuff that you can, 
you can walk past and be like, I don't need to do this. It's an extra activity. But, like, there is a lot going on, and the story starts, right? Like, if you're in an area, the story is there, and what mm-hmm. and your actions are impacting the bigger world. And, yeah, I think, like, you know, the uh, the the main task of what you're trying to do is, is basically solve this blight. It's this... It's solve you know, the blight, yeah. Yeah, this red corruption. It almost looks like every... Like, all the plant life is, is rusting, but it's also poisonous if you stick around in it too long. Um, that is your main quest to try to... You're trying to reboot uh, Gaia. I guess Gaia was killed as well, so Gaia's gone, which was the um, terraforming AI. Yeah, that was the overall system right. in the first game. Yeah, and Hades, which was, like, the bad guy in the first game, the the sentient AI, was supposed to be one of Gaia's subsystems. So yeah. in the first game, Gaia destroys herself in order to destroy Hades and basically make it so he didn't have anywhere to go. And that's why he was able to be killed at the tower. Is Yeah, she basically killed herself and shut him off from, like any larger connection yeah and the whole point of this game at least off off the bat is you're trying to find a backup and that leads to you know um a pretty interesting moment like i mean talking about the larger world like i think that was the the really cool part about horizon that was introduced in i think like the back two-thirds of the game was the fact that it was a post 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 apocalyptic game and that there was you know what we would consider our future uh, that it existed. Not not that we're gonna like be taken over by a bunch of AI robots, but like just in the sense that it was 2059 or whatever, and and um it, like and the world ended. And the world ended. You didn't know that was happening until you. And that was a really cool part of the first one. And they kind of they kind of find some interesting ways in that. What is actually the prologue? Um, to kind of explore, like, other options. And I guess they they may have made reference to it in the first game because Aloy They did, of, yeah. Yeah, talks about it as if she knows, has come across it before. But I, I Yeah, they were like a competing company. Right. Um, the, the company you're talking about it was basically a competing company to the one that, to Pharaoh, who was the one that made all the robots. And their solution to the apocalypse was basically like, flee Earth. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they do... Um, they do talk about that a little bit when um, in the first game you're looking for Apollo. I think it was Apollo, which was like the store of all human knowledge. And there was a copy that was supposed to be sent off in the spacecraft. And yeah, so that's, they do talk about it a little bit in the first game. Yeah. So I really liked that intro bit in that like there, there was other things that were, that they were exploring options of like going into space, but it was very much like that, um, they, I guess it failed, like, they... But then there's also reference to, like, a derelict space station while you're the, you're going to the first uh, first tall neck area. So, like, I'm really interested in, in learning more about the past as well mm-hmm. as, like... they. That's yeah. what I find that they've always done well in Horizon in the universe building is they've done a really good job of basically trying to unravel the past and what happened in a time that's very much a touch point for you and I, because like you say, it's kind of like what happens between like 2020 and 2060 to get them to that place. And uh, so it's, it's really interesting in that way because you're trying to unravel the past in order to fix the future. So they've made it relatable and yet tribal people fighting robot animals. Like, <laughs> so it, that could have been a very, 
like crazy far out concept that didn't work, but because it, they've tied it into the events of basically our current time, um, it became a lot more interesting, I think. And yeah. they've definitely continued that in, in Forbidden West. And I am not going to spoil anything at all. And I'm going to try not even to hint at stuff that might, I think might be spoilers, but, um, the story continues that trend in exploring what happened in the past, which is oh. our future. <laughs> like you, you and I, like our future, like the, yeah, the, they look more into things that happened from kind of like 2050 to 2065. That is interesting. I, I It was one of my favorite parts of the story of the first one. And I know yeah. that um, in Silence's, uh, you know, uh, the R2-D2 message that he leaves in the tower. <laughs> um, he basically says, oh, I've, I've discovered a bunch of stuff, but you're going to have to come find me, and then title card, you know? And, uh, yes. it's I, I'm, like, I'm again, like, I'm really enjoying the game. I think, like, the biggest deterrent for me is just that I know it's a huge game, and I'm like, I want to experience it, so I'm trying not to um, let my like my my excitement and my brain get ahead of me and knowing like yeah. look if I just play for a couple hours I'm probably not to, going to experience like that next big story beat but I am going to have fun you know uh, stealth uh, taking out these 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 robots yeah I've I have definitely been taking my time so you could absolutely finish the game a lot faster than I am for sure. Um, I just, I really have been enjoying it. I always enjoy being in the world of Horizon, so I'm, I am, I'm taking my time, and I know I'm not going to get another one of these games if they even do yet another one. Um, like, I know I'm not going to get another one for, like, five years, so I'm really taking my time and enjoying my first playthrough, so I know it's possible to play it a lot faster than I am, and I just am not, (laughs) but I'm totally fine with that, too, because I'm really, really enjoying it. I mean, no surprise, I think. I recommend this title if you played the first one. If you didn't play the first one, why at this point have you not played the first one? But this sequel is enough to make me, like, ultra, super, mega recommend the first one. (laughs) I think together they make a really good, compelling story and universe, and they're worth playing. It looks amazing. (laughs) Like, it's so pretty. It's so pretty that I was sitting, like, when I very first started playing the prologue on the very first night, I was just standing in that, like, overgrown building that you kind of start your actual tutorial in, and I'm just standing there watching, like, all of this, like, kind of, like, dust particles in the air and, like, this, like, grass blowing in the wind, and, like, I was just standing there, and Matt came downstairs, he's like, Uh what are you doing? I'm like, just look at the grass. Just look at the grass. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Hey, it's just, it's amazing. Okay? Like, if it's are expensive, amazing. you got to get yeah. your money's worth. So right? you got to look at the grass. Um, yeah, we didn't even mention we're both playing on PlayStation 5. We are, um, yeah. I I gotta say though I think um uh, I think it, I'm playing on PS5 I think I'm noticing like there are some issues that I think people are reporting in terms of graphical issues with um, HDR and brightness and sharpness and stuff like normal stuff that pops up in very complex video games uh, they just issued a patch uh, today I I feel like the game is and maybe this is just my experience of um, next gen or current generation games being very, uh, just not going with the the bright color palette. Like, this is a very mm-hmm. bright game, 
And if you're coming off other games where um, it's, like, I, I was playing a bunch of Returnal over the holidays, which is a very, like, dark, grim game of just basically mm-hmm. a bunch of sweaty, you know, walls of, of alien grossness. And um, <laughs> this is the complete opposite of that. Like, there's no... There's no, there's, there's not a lot of, you know, it's, it's a new world, right? Well, so yeah, it's all I mean, terraformed. Exactly, and so even the blight, which is causing everything to die, is like bright red. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very bright. It's not like brown or black or you know any kind of color that you would necessarily associate with death and decay, yeah. it, or gray or ashy or like none of that. It's bright freaking red. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, which is also a very very interesting choice. Yeah. So I I think I I can't tell if. People are reporting these issues, and I, and I don't even know if I'm having the issue of like you know just just a over over brightened um, scene. But it's but again, I think it's it's a combination of maybe there is an actual issue, but also the fact that this uses very. I think it also could be like a stylistic choice, honestly. Yeah. Because I have noticed every once in a while that like there are really bright lights which are disorienting, but it feels on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I should be you know taken aback by what I've just discovered. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really um, found any issues so far, but like you say, I could just be not noticing them, which if I don't notice them, are they issues? No, no, they're not. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, I've just noticed that as I'm playing it, like, it is a very bright game, and I'm not, I'm not used to that. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you look at even past offerings from PlayStation, like God of War, The Last of Us Part Two, which is, a, again, like a very dark and grimy game. Very gray, yeah. Um, even, you know, uh, even uh, Ratchet & Clank, last year's PlayStation 5 exclusive, like, it had its bright moments, but, like, it's still, it, I noticed it there, too. Like, I think, I think it is this current generation and just this new lighting system like we're just i'm just not used to it yet so when i'm playing horizon i'm just looking around like i'm doing the same thing you are i'm like oh my god like look how like look how much i can see just by climbing this thing and um the graphics are insane and uh like i said it's all mo-capped so all these conversations sometimes you do slip a bit into that like it feels it, it feels very real in these movements of these characters is um, like my new favorite character is the chef you meet in the in Chain Scrape, basically. Oh yes! Oh, he's so good. He's great. <laughs> there's there's so many of these characters you come across, and um, I think uh, there another thing we can talk about is the. Uh, I actually just before we move away from yeah, that yeah. stuff, I actually saw a thread that was just <laughs> dedicated to him because he's basically like the side quest that kind of introduces you to another complexity with combat which is um you have food and food buffs this time around so you can purchase different meals from different chefs in all of the different settlements and they will give you different bonuses when you're in combat and you eat them like you would you know drink a health potion or or something like that like they're on your hot hot bar wheel thing um and then they'll give you a buff for a certain amount of time and I saw a thread on Twitter that was dedicated to this chef because of the level of detail they put into crafting his story. So basically, like, he everything in and around him, first of all, like, so he's a chef that really cares about his food, and that's, like, his big problem is that the guy, like, has been taking advantage of him and not letting him get new equipment and everything else, 
and like he has a very specific like pan and then they show the pan next to the food and the food's got like grill marks that matches the like ridges in the pan and they've kept all of the like images of the food in the game accurate to the ingredients that they actually would have like in southern utah (laughs) like they've kept like all of your meat types are very identifiable all of your plants are very identifiable like it's it's very accurate (laughs) to what like southern utah would have in a post-apocalyptic world and just the attention to detail is crazy according to a chef that has played Forbidden West and then therefore made an entire, like, he was, like, breaking it down in a way that was, like, I'm going to figure out what is in these dishes and make it because they've paid attention to that much detail that I can do that in this game. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of crazy. Because, <laughs> like, he's, like you say, he's not a throwaway character. He has a role, which is to introduce you to the food system, but he's one side quest, and then he's a vendor, and that's it. And they've crafted his whole entire area to be ridiculously accurate to the real world. Yes, there's a lot of detail that is put into this game. And I think in previous generations of, of consoles and, and, and video games, a lot of people would say, like, oh, well, you know, they didn't put, you know, a lot of detail into this. And I think now we're seeing with this current generation of, of technology is, like, they wanted to put all that detail in. I mean, you saw that, like, I think the previous generation, there was a lot of talk of, like, how good the food looks in XYZ game. And it just goes to show that, like, developers really want to put that detail in. And I think that we finally have the, the hardware that is going to support that. And um, It feels yeah. like they very much had a team dedicated just to making the visuals of the food for to put on the tables in front of the chefs to make sure they're all accurate, but all different. Yeah, <laughs> it was. was just crazy. Sounds like a great way to have a have lunch provided every day. Okay, uh, now we need the yeah, artist. Yeah, now to... we need to test. Yeah, what does this look like if we order it like fire flame roasted and mm. you know whatever? Oh, <laughs> very, very much that. So, yeah. I mean, I, do you have any like final thoughts about Forbidden West before we quickly touch on the news and wrap the show? Well, we are likely to come back to this next week and, and possibly uh, uh, a couple more weeks because this is a big, big game. We're both playing it, so it's it's likely to to take over the. It'll pop survey. up again, and uh, and I am sure that we will do a full story spoiler thoughts uh, probably like a month from now. Let's be honest. Oh yes, yeah, yeah uh, uh, quite a ways from now. Um, but it'll happen. But yeah, not not too far away, but. You know, at least uh, in, the, in a couple months. But yeah, no. I the only other thing I was going to bring up, and I don't know if you touched on it a lot, uh, was the uh, the mini game that's part of this. That what they didn't have. Oh, one of I these. didn't even mention this. Oh my god! Yeah. See, that's the thing. There's so much in this game that I have hardly like dove into this system at all. Mostly because when I sit down to play Horizon, what I want to do is play Horizon. But yeah. they do have a game in a game that is akin to Gwent in The Witcher. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's like uh, Machine Strike, I think it's, it's called. called. Yeah, Machine Strike. And yeah. it's kind of um, it's kind of reminiscent of like a tactics game. Yeah, kind of like a yeah tactics or like chess. It yeah. reminded me of a little bit like again. I've only sat down and played, like, I did the initial quest to, like, get your first units, and then I, I think I tried to sit down and play uh, one more time um, in Plainsong, so I kind of, I skipped uh, I skipped a couple towns, which was a mistake, because the opponents that you face get harder and harder the further into the game that you get, 
Um, so the board can change and the units that they have access to can change. So it's basically like I skipped a whole bunch of levels in the game and just got absolutely destroyed. Um, so I don't recommend doing that. If you want to actually learn Machine Strike as a game, definitely, like, take it one town, one opponent at a time. Because um, you'll also unlock more pieces. And that's part of it, too, is you um, unlock pieces through questing, through not only Machine Strike, but you can also find, like, pieces around the world and stuff, like, by doing side quests and errands and things. So, uh, or opening caches. Sometimes there's pieces in caches and stuff. So there's lots of different sources for pieces, and then you have to basically create a, a, a set that you're going to use. And because I think you get, is it five pieces or seven pieces? I can't yeah. remember. And um, then, yeah, you have to place them on the board and then, you know, first to seven points wins yeah. or first to destroy all of the all of your opponent's pieces. Yeah. The one thing I've noticed about um, uh, the Machine Strike is that the tutorial is very drawn out. And, and, and again, I, I felt that same thing you were describing. as like, I kind of want to play Horizon, even though the minigame is is interesting. But that's good to know not to not to skip uh, not to skip. Like yeah, basically. don't just assume. Yeah, don't just assume that you can, you know, take your beginner pieces and play against somebody when you're four or five towns in. It won't work. No, no. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's a it's a fairly simple. It's it's not. I don't think it's simple, but it's like it, the premise is is one of like uh, you have to like you said you have to get seven victory points, but they they really like onboard you. They they take their time, kind of like explaining the rules. To a point where it can kind of kill the momentum a little bit in in terms of like waiting five years to play this game and I'm sitting at a table. Like yeah. <laughs> Gwent had I uh, Gwent had that uh, quick pick up. You do the one quest and you got it. You know. Um, I think I will say about Machine Strike, it seems to be like require more explanation and and yeah. Patience. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of complexity there. I yeah. think and uh, I think they did the tutorial as fast as they possibly could while still explaining all the rules of the game to you because it is it's a very complex game within the game of Horizon Forbidden West so I'm sure that I'll like I'll probably take a look at it eventually if only to like get my platinum trophy right <laughs> yes yeah and the and the lady who's like teaching you right off the bat is like super keen about machine strike you're almost like one oh, like yeah. are you gonna be secretly it. evil or you know you're really yeah, into you're this trying to like waylay me off of my main quest by being like hey come over here and play this thing now that i've got you you can never leave yeah yeah like she's really into machine strike it's almost super like into it. getting a commission or something but um it's 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 interesting it's fun they never had it and the, they never had anything kind of like that i can remember in the first game i was like a, as you said a game within a game and um, I'm excited to enjoy it when I've kind of I need a break from the run around. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, we'll have more thoughts on Forbidden West for you guys in the coming weeks, including a spoiler cast at some point. Again, I am very much enjoying this first playthrough, and uh, I mean, you just you never get another first playthrough, right? So I'm taking my time. I'm enjoying it. So it's probably still a ways out, but. We will absolutely have a full-on story spoiler cast for you guys in the coming weeks. Uh, we wanted to say a very special thank you to our February patron, Stephen. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you would like to support The Gamers In, head on over to patreon.com slash thegamersin. Uh, take a look at what we've got over there. And uh, if you would like your name here, 
then uh, do support the show, and you could be our April patron. <gasps> Teaser. Uh, so that brings us to the news this week. Uh, we got a couple of quick stories for you guys here. Uh, so first and foremost, I didn't realize Uncharted had actually hit theaters because we're still in, like, lockdown mode, and this is, like, theaters only. So I did not realize this had released. But um, Uncharted has hit like the theaters, it's, yeah. it's out now. You can go see it. Uh, and Sony has basically said it's the newest hit movie franchise, and like was really digging up this movie. And I'm like, it's your movie. Like, who's gonna believe this? <laughs> like, this <Deadline>. is like. <laughs> well, I just it's so funny. It's like me saying the Gamers Inn is the greatest podcast in the world. Like. You wouldn't be it's wrong. Good, but like <laughs> it's just—it's so funny because it's like Sony. It's your own thing. Like maybe don't declare it as the next big movie franchise hit. Like it just seems so weird. Like that's the kind of thing you would expect to see like out of a reviewer or something. And then you're like, wait, that was the chief of Sony? What? <laughs> like pat yourself on the back a little harder there, bud. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the movie. Um, I, neither I'm guessing neither I haven't seen it. it sounds like you haven't. Seen I have it. not. No, I didn't. Know like I said, I didn't see it was out. I do intend to see it, but yeah, um, yeah I haven't been to a movie in nine months yeah. <laughs> like since our last like bottomed out wave <laughs> yeah that's true um I, I think like the, the the reason i put the story in here um is basically like it, it has exceeded uh you know public expectations in terms of uh the amount of money it brought in it brought in 106 million globally over the weekend uh opening it's it's no spider-man but it is um a big deal for sony and this is the first PlayStation Productions film that they've put together. And I think the big takeaway here is, like, when you have a CEO saying, um, you know, new hit movie franchise, it likely it leads to a sequel. Um, yeah. <laughs> my understanding is that there are, you know, two post-credits that set up sequels. Um, Which is kind of interesting because didn't they smoosh together bits from all the movies? <laughs> From all the games into this one movie, or at least that was the rumor. Again, haven't seen it, so can't officially comment. Also, haven't played every single Uncharted game, so I couldn't really, you know, like, speak to that necessarily. But from people who have played the game and seen the movie, I have heard that it is kind of this, like, it works, but still this Frankenstein of the games smooshed into one movie. So... It's interesting that they have sequels in mind when well, they've already used their material. It's set pieces that they kind of smoosh together, right? Uh, so you've got the plane from three. You've got well, again, I haven't seen. I've only seen the trailers, but you get the sense that there's the ship from four. Like the, there's there's some pirate stuff from four that shows up. There's the 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 cargo plane from three. Um, but there are characters that are missing. There are characters that um, chronologically have been introduced yet. Uh, uh, you know, I. So there's still there's still room for them to explore those ideas. Yeah, and again, like you have Tom Holland, who's a who's a who's a big name actor now, uh, has been for a while. Also very young, yeah. right? So I mean, the, this is the kind of thing where they're not going to have the Wolverine problem for a while. <laughs> yeah, they were like, old he's man iconic. No one else can play Wolverine, and I will fight you on that. Like, no one else can play Wolverine, and they're just like, but he's old now. What do we do now that Hugh Jackman can't do young Wolverine? <laughs> but Tom Holland, 
man, he's got like 50 years of Nathan Drake ahead of him. <laughs> and I'm sure he loves that. I remember after he made the biggest Spider-Man film, some of the lines were like, I don't know if I'm going to be Spider-Man. If I'm playing Spider-Man in my 30s, I've probably failed. It's like, what? okay, I mean, you're young. That was the whole point of hiring you. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but no, like, uh, him is Nathan Drake. I haven't seen the film. I want to see the film. I love Uncharted. Um, but I can wait to see the movie. I'm glad it's doing well. I'm glad PlayStation is going to look at making, you know, more movies based on their franchises. And um, I'm a little, you know, I'm bummed that, you know, it, it wasn't as uh, positively received by critics. Like, I think I think that still means something to have, you know, positive reviews. Like, I think you can, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, Marvel movies, some Star Wars stuff has really proven that, like, you can build something that critics and fans love alike, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, Mandalorian is a great example. It's it's both critically and fan-loved. And, and, I, and I want that from a video game movie, and I, and I think that's what I've seen from the reviews is that it is very much a video game movie, and I, and I want to see us get away from that. I want to see a, a, a great movie based on a video game. Yeah, so um, the critics have given it 40% on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, but the audience has given it 90%, so that's good. Yeah. Um, so basically the critics say it was promisingly cast but misleadingly titled Uncharted Minds its best-selling source material to produce a disappointing echo of superior <laughs> adventure films, and the audience Weird. is like, there's tons of action and terrific cast. This is a solid adaptation. Go game movies. Yeah. Like you can like Mark Wahlberg, right? Like Mark Wahlberg is still cool, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. Good. As much as people complained about him, you know, being Sully, I think he's a fine Sully, and and Tom Holland is a fine Nathan Drake. Like, I'm sure it works, and I I can't wait to see it. Uh, well, I, I can wait to see it when it comes out on, on digital. I don't. I'm not going to go to the theaters to see it, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm excited. Absolutely. Uh, so, also, uh, there's a report that Call of Duty is going to skip 2023. Yeah. Um, hell is frozen over. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, Call of Duty, I guess uh, 2023 would have been their 20-year anniversary of releasing Ooh. these games annually. <laughs> it almost seems like maybe you stretch it out, do one more, and then call it and take a break. Right? Like, if, even if it's terrible, like, just get that 20th anniversary edition out there milk it, and then take 2024 off. (laughs) Although I will say, like, this is an Activision title, right? And then so obviously they're in the middle of a lot of things right now. The lawsuits are piling up. You've got the acquisition from Microsoft that they have to kind of navigate. That acquisition is supposed to finish up by the end of um, Microsoft's uh, fiscal year, which ends in June of next year. So, I mean, it's a busy time for Activision. I get it. But, yeah, the fact that it's the 20th anniversary makes me kind of go, oh, you you couldn't do it? Like, you couldn't just get that out the door? (laughs) And maybe that's wrong because it sounds like I'm advocating for crunch, which I'm really not. But I just think that maybe they could have allocated their resources a little better and hit that 20th, like, milestone, right? (laughs) Yeah. I think what's happening here is, um, so basically, like, it's it's going to be the first year where they skip a mainline Call of Duty. Call of Duty, obviously, it, it has a lot of other streams that could be uh, booted up for, um, to, you know, a gap year. You know, you've got Call of Duty Zombies, you've got Call of Duty Warfare, you've got, um, well, those are the two two big ones that come to mind. But there's other, they could do a multiplayer only one, you know, not to the, they've done that before where it's just a, it's just a multiplayer game. Um, but the idea here is that this, 
you know, as we know it, a Call of Duty game will not uh, release in 2023. There's one coming out this year, and they've they've moved the Treyarch game, which is traditionally the one that has the zombie mode, uh, mm-hmm. from 2023 to 2024. Now, Activision has responded to this since, and they've basically said, like, hey, you know, we look forward to there being, you know, many premium and free-to-play Call of Duty experiences for this year, next year, and beyond. So essentially saying, you know, there's going to be a Call of Duty in 2023, but they're not necessarily, like, denying the story that Treyarch's complete Call of Duty game has been delayed. Has been moved, yeah. But I could see, you know, Warzone getting a big update, possibly a standalone Zombies game, which has been sort of asked for and teased quite a bit. I think they got pretty close with, um, well, they did it with uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4. I think they ended up piecemealing that game post-launch that you could buy just the zombies, um, at least on PC. So this is, a, in my mind, like, it's not as big of news as when, say, Ubisoft said, we are literally not going to release a, a, an Assassin's Creed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is just... Although this could go down that same route, right? Because um, yeah. Ubisoft has now taken Assassin's Creed into that whole, like, we're just going to keep constantly updating it game as a service kind of realm instead of, you know, like, actually releasing a new Assassin's Creed every year. So that's kind of, it's the, what is it, Assassin's Creed Infinity or something? Yeah. Or Infinite or whatever uh, iteration on that word. <laughs> I guess infinite ways you can say infinity <laughs> but uh yeah anyways they're they're kind of going down that route and i wonder if call of duty and activision are kind of looking at them through like giving them the side eye like oh maybe we should do that and you know the acquisition is almost an excuse so like if we were ever going to make a transition why not do it in in the acquisition year so we'll have to see how this all plays out but uh, it is as of right now like you said Ryan uh, just a report it's it is a Jason Jason Schreier report which um his are rarely wrong he doesn't usually like report things without having very very good sources so um i although it is just a report to you know take with a grain of salt it does come from someone who i consider a reputable games journalist so uh yeah i think um yeah, this is very likely uh, mostly true, if not all true. So, uh, yeah, well, no more Call of Duty or no no Treyarch Call of Duty, potentially, in uh, 2023. So we'll keep our eye on that. And then finally, <laughs> we have a little bit of a goofy story for you. Uh, but Dead by Daylight has trademarked uh, with something that sounds a whole lot like a dating sim. Which, uh, at first I read this and I went, ha, okay, yeah, definitely, uh, like a, a joke, an April Fool's thing, but it's a pretty serious looking, like, um, copyright, uh, whatchamacallit? Filing. Um, filing. Yes, there. There you go. Filing. That's okay, what I was right. looking for. There's a whole document and everything. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, everything. And it's, like, literally saying that they're trademarking this <laughs> the title, which is called... <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. It's hooked on you, a dead by daylight dating sim. <laughs> so, uh, in the game, when killers knock you down, they have to put you on a hook three times in order to sacrifice you to the entity. So that's what the name is playing on, hooked on you. Um, this this has to be like this has to be either them like protecting that. IP or like their IP so somebody else doesn't do it or 
it's just like an April Fool's joke. Because, <laughs> like, honestly, like, my first gut reaction was like, this has to be a joke. But Dead by Daylight has one of the thirstiest fan bases I have ever been a part of. Like, I legit can't believe how much, like, every single post that Dead by Daylight puts out on social media inevitably devolves into some sort of sex thing. <laughs> like, okay. it's ridiculous. Like, everyone's talking about, like, which survivors would date other survivors, like, who they as a person want to date, and if they would date a survivor or date a killer, and, like, all kinds of, like, that just goes down all kinds of kinky roads. And, like, it just, I like, I have never seen a fan base like this. Now, I'm not a big anime person, but it gives me, like, big anime vibes. Where, <laughs> like, everyone who plays Dead by Daylight, not everyone, everyone, but a lot of people who play Dead by Daylight have, like, either their own fanfic or their own, like, ideas about dating stuff. And, like, I mean, even I do. I'm like, oh, yeah, Kate and David, they're totally a thing. <laughs> so, like, I don't know what it is about Dead by Daylight, but it brings out the kinky in its players. So I'm not sure if, like, Dead by Daylight got wind of, like, a fan project or something using their characters and they want to kind of, like, put the kibosh on that, or if they just want to tease people with a dating sim, or maybe they're just giving the fans what they want, and this is actually a thing that they're working on. Like, I really don't know. I imagine it would only be their, like, original characters, because there's no way that, like, the Halloween franchise would get on board with, like, Michael Myers dating, like... The hag. <laughs> right. Or Freddy. Or, you know, Ghostface. Or, yeah, like, I feel like for the Freddy franchise, you could probably get on, you could get that on board. But, like, there's a lot of properties where uh, they would struggle. But, uh, I mean, if KFC can make a dating sim, I feel like, why not Dead by Daylight, right? Oh, I don't know, man. I, the thing is, if they did it, I think it would be wildly successful. Huh? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> kind of a crazy statement, but um, yeah. <laughs> I I saw this and I thought, you know, April Fools. Is, but but you're right. Like I actually didn't click through on. I read the article, but I I didn't click through on the tweet, which uh, is is literally like a, a legit filing. Um, now this could be something that that does get released or at least announced on on uh, around April first. But I think like if you it, it, uh, I, I'm not as familiar with the Dead by Daylight audiences, but if the audience is asking for this and, and they're looking to branch out and, and build well, I mean, more... You can just look at the comments. Yeah, I don't know if like, I want to now. But. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, none of them, none of it's too dirty, but I mean, it's full of like... One of them has a blurred image, art. content more <laughs> But yeah, and then there's, yeah... Okay. Yeah, yeah, like there's there are so many people being like, I would date insert character here in a heartbeat, which is also a Dead by Daylight like tongue in cheek joke because the killers all have heartbeats to indicate where they are on the map. But anyways, mm-hmm. um, like so yeah, it was it's like I would date this character in a heartbeat, or it's like I would ship like these two characters together. So it's like people don't even know if they're gonna be like creating their own character to date these these killers and survivors, or if they're just gonna be like 
killer survivor mashups where you can date whoever, whatever. Like, I, nobody knows how this would work, and the fan base doesn't care. They're in it either way. Like, they just want to be able to, like, play out their wildest fantasies in a dating sim with Dead by Daylight characters. Like, they're in it. So I think if Behavior did this, they'd actually make a shit ton of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, it sounds like the audience is there. And, I mean, on, like I said, if you're trying to build out like, I think we talked about this before with Dead by Daylight, the the beauty of it, the developer is uh, both bringing in um, licensed characters, but also building out, like, you know, their own Their own content. universe and their own lore. Yeah, they do a lot of that. Yeah, this is a great way to continue to build up that original content and, and uh, just strengthen it more, you know? So <laughs> um, try yeah. not to accidentally say things that can be, you know... Misconstrued. Yeah, turned into a Twitter reply of some kind to a Dead by Daylight <laughs> post. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that might that might be coming um, in, <laughs> in in the yeah coming soon. months. Coming <laughs> yeah, soon. soon. Yeah. To a Steam near you. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll let you know if that <laughs> comes to fruition. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it. I'm sure we'll both play it. Uh, I'm not oh, even joking. I, if it comes out, I am definitely playing it. Like, if this is a real thing, I will play it. If for nothing else, just the experience. Like, I just want to see what they come up with, and I will also watch anyone and everyone who is playing the Dead by Daylight dating sim on Twitch. Yeah. Just, just to see, because I feel like the fan-made content around this game is already wild, and if you give them a dating sim outlet, it's going to be incredible. So, anyways, again, Dead by Daylight, trademarking a dating sim name. We'll see what comes of that. But that's going to do it for us this week on The Gamers End. If you want to join the conversation and let us know your Dead by Daylight fanfic, you can do so by going to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn at Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying with The Gamers Inn. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Come on in, pull the train next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and unfortunately, Ryan is sick this week, but I do have Bo joining me of Core Fame. So, hi, Bo. Thanks for coming on this week. Hi, Jocelyn. Thank you very much for the invite. I'm very, very excited this week because uh, I think everyone's going to be really confused because we're not talking about Forbidden West this week. <laughs> oh, good. And that's, like, all I've been playing, and I know everyone was expecting, like, Gamers in to turn into Forbidden West cast for the next, like, month, 
But uh, we're actually here to talk about Elden Ring. I'm excited. <laughs> so just a question before we start. Is Ryan playing Elden Ring at all? I know he's not here. No, he's, he's playing Forbidden West, which I think is why everyone thought okay. Forbidden would just be Forbidden West cast. <laughs> That's what happens when everyone on a show starts playing the same game when it's a variety show, that it just becomes about that. Yeah, you exactly. Know, John, John, John talked about Final Fantasy XIV for many, many months because who could blame him? That's all he was doing. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, you talked to Scott for a little bit about Horizon Forbidden West, right? I did, I, yeah. I got to sit down with him this afternoon, which was really, really good because um, I just, I love the game so much. And unfortunately, I'm so far ahead of everyone, I can't talk about what I know. <laughs> it's oh. driving me nuts. But uh, we did have a really good talk about, like, some of the systems in the game and, and why it's been so impactful on me and why I really enjoy it and stuff. So it was it was a really, really good chat that's mostly spoiler-free. I kind of, like, allude to the fact that there's, like, big reveals, but, I mean, really and truly, if you're playing a game or consuming media of any kind, like, there's going to be reveals, right? You don't know what the story is, so that should kind of be a given. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to judge because when you're playing something ahead of other people, you're like, I want to talk about it now. Yes. Oh, but my God. Exactly. I don't want to ruin it for but people. But I don't want to ruin it. Yeah, yeah. So, so what am I going to talk about on the show? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a real problem. It's the problem <laughs> of, like, super story-driven games, which is actually one of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you about Elden Ring because I know you've put, I think yesterday we were talking, you said about 20 hours into it so far. Um, yeah, I think, I think I have to update that. I'm pretty sure about 40 now. That's not. There hasn't been twenty. Hours. Maybe not. Maybe thirty. I'm somewhere. I'm somewhere in the thirty to forty range for okay, sure. Okay, so you're you're deep in and loving it. I'm guessing. Otherwise, you wouldn't have put so much time into it in such a short period. Um, but for me, like I'm so usually focused on the world building and the story in the games that I play, for the most part. I mean, sometimes I, I play stuff for mechanics only, but usually a game needs to have kind of compelling characters to, to pull me away from everything else going on because there's just so many things to play nowadays. So story-wise, like, it, has there been anything that's kind of hooked you in Elden Ring, or is it, like, mechanics only? Like, what pulls you in? Because you're also the kind of gamer that I am in terms of, like, Never really got into From games before. No, this is the first time for me for playing this much of a From software game. And I really do like story games, although I would say my favorite story game in the past year or so is Disco Elysium. Ooh. If you haven't played it. I haven't. It's, kind of, it's, it's a not-miss. It. It's a not-miss if you haven't played that. I'm just going to take it aside to dish about Disco Elysium. <laughs> it was like my game of the year last year. Like I think it's one of the best games I've ever played in all of my life. Really? Oh, my God. Um, I, I have it. I think I got it when it was uh, free on Epic, maybe. And I find I always struggle with games that I got on Epic just because I'm never in that ecosystem. Like, I don't play Fortnite, so it's never open, and I completely forget that I have those games. <laughs> uh, the other problem, it took me a while to drop into it, too. The problem with that game is it's, all, it's a text adventure. Like, mm. those games don't really – your level of, like, excitement – your level of excitement and dopamine, like, just, like, release on reward. Like, you have to – you kind of need to train yourself to play it a little bit because the pleasure is there, but everything, the game's like messing with you. Like it's not trying to entertain you in that way. It's like, it's putting you in a position uh, as this character in the story who has amnesia. So it's kind of fun because then you get to sort of define your character, but then find out what you're really like. And uh, <laughs> that's 
It's, that a, it's is a very light spoiler. It's not great. It's not great. Like, <laughs> and and it play. It, it's it's like as close to reading a novel and playing a video game at the same time as you're gonna get. And depending on which direction you go, you might get different things out of it. Like you could really there's a, a stat for drugs if you really want to be into taking speed. You can do that in the game, and your body can be really good at it. Or you can be like a, you know. Uh, like a super knowledge, your brain almost has like, uh, you know, mild Asperger's and that like every time you, you are like introduced to some piece of information, your brain will rattle off like five hours of data back at you because that's how you've shaped your character. It's, okay. you know, like one of those, yeah, it's just like, here's a book. It's a book by, um, you know, Stephen King. Like, Stephen King was an author in 1997, born this day. Like, you get a whole Wikipedia entry <laughs> based on, you know, it's like, it's like, and I went that way, and the game took, I think, five times longer to play than, than normal, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. So I'm interested in actually playing again. I want to play as more of a meathead um, because, I, you know, I was a weakling, and I got, I couldn't fight. Like, I think I tried to punch a kid at one point. He's, he's a real jerk. But he, I was a, I'm a cop, and he wasn't respecting me, so I'm like, hit the kid. I'm like, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So you have a character that can take many drugs to the point you have a basic immunity to it. Um, you can punch children, but also you're a cop? Yeah, so you, you find out you're a cop. This is, like, in the trailer. It's not spo- And your brain talks to you, and you have 20 different facets of your brain. So one part of your brain is your logic. Uh, your sense of drama, that's if you can read people if they're lying and lie yourself. But you also have your electrochemical system, which is your affinity for drugs. So if you are your, – your electrochemical system be like, you could really use a cigarette right now. You want one. You know, and then you have to be like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> You know, or you might say yes, and then then your your electrochemical system is like, oh yeah, that you're the best cop ever. You take a drag on that cigarette, that makes you a man. <laughs> you know, like like the game, like your brain is constantly talking to you in this really, really dynamic um, way. It sounds like <laughs> really on the nose way. Like it doesn't it doesn't sound forced or like gimmicky. It's like it's like reading a novel. You're just like. Sometimes the the game would anticipate my reactions to things, and, and it would be like, holy shit, like, get out of my head, game. <laughs> so it's really, really, really – it's hard to understate or underscore how good that game is for story and how it's ruined, like, almost all other games for me because they really did put a lot of effort into the writing. And so it's not flashy or exciting, and it might, like, the first few sessions playing, I sort of had to force myself a bit to be like, sit down, play this. But in once Alan I got Rank? hooked. Or in, no, no, in oh, Disco Elysium. But once I got hooked into that game, it's it's the best game experience. So if you like story, anyway, you were talking about Forbidden West, but, like, if you like story and you own that game, I would play it. I, I would be, I streamed all of it. So people got to see me make my poor life choices uh, live. <laughs> but I, if I had to choose, it's on Switch now. I think it'd be the kind of, you know, you curl up in bed with a book or something. Oh, uh, okay. But you're a streamer. I kind of reckon, it's, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know that it's going to get large audiences, but the people that were watching were really into it, seeing what I was doing and into the story and stuff. Like, it's a good experience. I enjoyed playing it in front of people because... It brought up top, like I would just stop and rant for an hour <laughs> because of something that came up that it made me think of, and I'm like, "What game does that?" Where I'm just all of a sudden talking about communism for an hour or something like that. So, you know, it, it's it's really good. Anyways, great story. So you like story games? I don't know how we got here, but forbidden. <laughs> I 
okay. It was a fun tangent. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that was the trouble. Is I love this game so much. I can't talk about it on core because, you know, Scott and John are like, yeah, we'll play it, you know, at some point. And I'm like, I want to find out what choices, you know, did they try and hit the kid? What other choices <laughs> didn't we I need see? need to know who's punching the kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, there's like, and there's just like, there's a lot of like, um, really like edgy, you know, like material in there. Decisions and moral decisions like there's um there's like a, a racist in there like not like a critical race theory racist like he's very well thought and you're just like you just want you just need him to get out of your way to get something but he's super strong and so like i was weak so i like i had to outthink him and I, it's just like you're, you're getting into all this sort of questionable stuff just trying to get to the bottom of things right and there's there's a there's a union there's a labor union that's you know uh, stopping work, and then there's a government that's trying to get them, and you get this the thing that you're involved in gets in the middle of all that, and <laughs> it just gets it gets really it's like big, big like the sound of it. <laughs> and, and, and like the funny thing is, there's all these big complicated issues happening, and you're like a drunk, like you're a terrible <laughs> cop. You're like okay, this you're, is sounding too much like my real life, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's exactly. I'm just like, holy crap! Like you're you're basically a piece of crap, right? Like that's the you wake up and you're just like, oh my god, you know, like you look, you wake up, you start the game like waking up after a hangover. That's why you, you can't remember anything because you got so drunk, you don't remember anything from your life at all. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, there was and there was one point where I was on the phone calling like someone and. You get a, you know, it's, uh, it was just, it's, it's so good. It is so good, but it's almost worth sharing because I, I just, it's an experience for sure. Do you so, feel about this game how I feel about Forbidden West right now? I think so. I think yeah. so. When a game really narratively pushes your buttons or, or moves you in some way, like it stays with you. And those games, like, there's a lot of narrative games, but the games that really, like, really affect you or like few and far between they're worth yeah. remembering so what yeah. is it about forbidden i know you talked about it a lot but <laughs> what is it about forbidden west that was really there's a lot of great reveals in it it sounds like or, or like a solid story would you say it's better than the first one like or is it the same well level? i'm actually i'm not at the end yet and that's what everybody asks me is like compared to the first one do you like this more or less and i'm like i don't know because i don't know what the end is and I feel like if they can stick the landing, I will like this just as much, if not more, than the first game. Um, there's a whole lot of discovery in the first game just about the world and how it works that you don't have in the second game, obviously. Um, but at the same time, they still throw a lot of information and curveballs at you that are really interesting. And you really feel, as this is one of the things that came up with Scott this morning, um, it's one of those games where because Aloy grew up in exile, you're kind of learning about the world along with her, which I find oh. really interesting because, like, she doesn't know anything outside of, like, what her guardian has told her about their tribe. But that's all she knows. And then all of a sudden the world just kind of explodes around her and she, you know, has to go through all these trials and, and learns all this new information and learns about other tribes and all the rest of it. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And they continued that in the second game. And I just, like, I didn't think it could get any bigger. And it's just exploded. So, oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> It sounds like the right way to do things. The, two, the thing that both these games have in common is they have, um, like, neophyte characters you play as. 
Mm-hmm. I think sometimes in games you're like expert or you know everything about the world, but as a player you don't. You know. And yeah. I don't know if you connect as much to a character because if your if your actual activity in the game is to explore and learn, then you're sort of connected more to the avatar or the character you're playing if, if they're also doing the same thing. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, and obviously there's like the very obvious answer that you're also a female protagonist, right? Which is few and far between, yeah. And, you know, she doesn't get written in in a weird way. (laughs) An actual female protagonist that's a character and not, you know. Right, and not not just a um, creator creation. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's just like, you know, which is fine. Yeah. That's your thing, but there isn't a lot of actual. Um, you know, three-dimensional characters that are women. Yeah, sure. very much. And, like, there's there's been a lot more options to play as women lately in gaming, but it's not quite the same as, like, writing a story and being like, this is your protagonist, this is her backstory. Like, it's very fleshed out versus just, like, you can put a male or female face on Shepard. Pull back, and you missed the greatest conversation podcasting has ever had in the span of ten minutes. It happened, and man, you guys, honestly, I I feel so bad because Bo and I had a really great conversation that is going to be impossible to recreate about our romance options and why Mass Effect. And yeah. uh, oh my god, it was it was so good, and I must have accidentally hit a button and stopped recording. So apologies. Uh, all I can say is that you're lucky I looked over and realized. That <laughs> You're getting the rest of the show on the great side. It's only 13 minutes, so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so <laughs> to bring it all back around to uh, to Elden Ring, and sorry about the kind of like short, crazy cut we're about to do content-wise, because I can't even remember what we were talking about like 10 minutes ago to make any kind of reasonable segue. Yeah. So we're just going to go. <laughs> sorry. I, I'm used to this because we do it all the time in core. I practice. <sighs> Uh, it's it's we went from Disco Elysium to Mass Effect to Mass Effect options and then we were gonna bring it back to Elden Ring. Right, uh, yeah. We were we yeah. were making our way back anyways, but uh yeah. yeah, you guys missed some gold. I'm so sorry about that. But uh yeah, so Elden Ring, so the reason that like I wanted to bring you on and talk to you is that like I know you haven't been in this universe very much, and there isn't a huge crazy story element from from what I understand, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I know sure. that they kind of build intricate universes, but it's not quite the same as, like, here's the quest, do the thing, learn the story, meet characters, go. Like, it's much more of, like, a like sandboxy experience, maybe? Like, go where you want and do what you want? Yeah, so... Um... I'm pretty sure I played an hour of Dark Souls, but Steam is telling me I played for one minute. <laughs> I own then Dark Souls very, Prepare to Die very, edition. You had a very similar experience to me then because I played a minute of Dark Souls and it felt like an hour, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I went to the first boss in Dark Souls and died a couple times and and went, Man, I don't I think didn't this even, is for me. And, yeah. And, I meant to get back to it, but, you know, I was playing lots of heroes. I had lots of games. It just, I was like, meh. This, this, like, this genre of game that's designed to be punishing until it's not, um, it's not making the cut. Because there's, you know, so much time you can spend on games. I just decided this wasn't going to be something I was going to look into. It's for the people who like it. Right, exactly, which is very similar to kind of the mentality and reaction I've had to all of their offerings. Because now, I mean, we're talking about there's Dark Souls, and that has, is it two or three games now? 
Um, three. Three, three. Yeah. Bloodborne. Um, go- Sekiro. Sekiro, right, that's it. Um, um, and then there's, uh, I feel like there's there another was, one. Uh, well, Demon Souls came before the Dark Souls game. Right, okay, yeah. So Demon Souls uh, and then now Elden Ring. Yeah, I think that's the trend. And so what's kind of been happening is I've ignored this, this you know, game and ultimately genre. Genre, yeah. Um, uh, this whole time, you know, I'm like, well, that's just their game. That's just their game. But what's kind of funny is two things happen pretty consistently when there have been other Souls-like games by other companies, but when From Software, who is seen as the progenitor of, of this genre, because the game's named after Dark Souls, two things happen. One, the game always reviews well, really well. Mm-hmm. So it makes waves and start always starts the discussion. We don't have enough difficult. We there should be difficulty sliders. Yeah, the, the the whole accessibility which conversation. Is, which I think it's just ridiculous because most games have difficulty sliders. So I, I feel like it's like this is like Twitter brain. Like something's a controversy that isn't because most games have difficulty sliders or are designed like Stardew Valley probably doesn't have a difficulty slider, but <laughs> no one minds. You know what I mean? Like I I, I feel like. I feel like part of this conscious—I'm not saying I'm not tinfoil hatting like conspiracy theory—but this only seems to come up when there's a From Software game getting released, right? When like a third, when a, when a third-tier developer releases a Souls-like uh, clone game, no one's talking about it. it. Just always seems to come up when one of these comes up, and I feel like well, it's yeah, part I of mean, the it's, overall. It's the biggest, like uh, yeah. the most popular example. Like it, it's it's very kind of flagship in that way. Is that the conversation happens, I think, when these Souls games come out or when these FromSoft games come out because they're the biggest in the space. Not that it's not yeah. worth talking about all the time, but I think it's just one of those things where it's people look at it as, okay, time to have this conversation again. Has it changed in two years, three years, whatever it's been since the last um, kind of game we got out of these guys? And I, I think it's a it's a valid conversation. I know there's probably a lot of people who look at um, at any of the games really, but particularly Elden Ring. Just honestly, because I had this reaction too from the marketing. The marketing of this game made me think it was different from everything else I'd ever done. Like it looked like they they were touting like George R. R. Martin's writing the story, and you know like there's it was all like super fantasy looking, and and there are some like instances that are freaking gorgeous. I my husband Matt is playing Elden Ring and I walked through the living room last night when he was facing this like I don't even know like fairy witch celestial boss or something and he was like running on water and she's like shooting these like stars and at him and everyone's covered in glitter and I'm like I should love this game. <laughs> like all of these visuals are very me. But, uh, but yeah, like, I think uh, it probably pulled a lot of people in and generated mm. a lot of interest. And even though it was a From game, I think people kind of hoped that maybe they'd be able to play this one and, you know, to have it not have difficulty sen- uh, settings and to just be very, 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 very hard as the genre is known to be. I think that that just, you know, ended up putting a lot of people off because they had different expectations for Elden Ring, whether it's deserved or not. Yeah, I mean, it's a game, especially Elden Ring, it's got 9.5s and 10s or 5-star, like, all across the board. So it's going to garner a lot of attention, too, yeah. right? It's like, I mean, it's like the, all the Metal Gear solids have been 10s, like, in a lot of places, and I haven't played any of them. But 
I think the thing you just said that Elden Ring looks really cool. Like Metal Gear Solid mm-hmm. doesn't look that cool. Like it's not military fantasy is not universally appealing, but like angels and demons and fantasy stuff is very broadly appealing in general. Has a wide so, audience for sure. So I can kind of feel like, oh, I'm really interested in this game, and then there's sort of this um, keep out sign on it, or you buy it and you feel like you wasted your money because you're not enjoying it, but mm-hmm. you. You should. Um, like, I think the difficulty conversation, like, is important, but, yes, the, the, I, think, I didn't really see a lot of the marketing, so I, can't, I don't really have an opinion on the marketing. Um, I just know I, that the marketing got me excited about a game like this, yeah. and I've never gotten excited about a game like this because of how hard I bounced off of Dark Souls. So <laughs> I feel like, yeah. for better or for worse, they reached me <laughs> so well, it's a, it was definitely different. <laughs> there's some confusing messaging, not just in the marketing, but coming out of like personalities and YouTube streamers and or YouTube personalities and streamers, like like and other people talking about it, saying that the game is a little more accessible even in the reviews. Like so, what I remember from Dark Souls is it probably was open to an extent, but it was very much a corridor experience from what I remember. So. The difference between Elden Ring and another game is that the comparisons to Breath of the Wild do exist in this game. So mm-hmm. if something, I've so, something is, like, kicking your butt, you can just, there's, like, you know, I'll just walk around and I'll find random things. Like, a bush started talking to me. And I was like, <laughs> why is this bush talking to me? And I hit the bush a couple times, and there's a rat man in there. And he's like, thanks for freeing me. It sucks being a bush. <laughs> And I was like, I feel cool. like, that's the kind of stuff I would actually really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's no quest markers. There's no notes. Like, you just figure stuff out. There's this other area I was in where there's these, there these giant bears in the game. They're, like, the size of houses, right? And they chase, even on a horse, <laughs> they can chase you down. They're ridiculous. I saw and, a clip of someone in a forest fighting a little bear and just managed to not die and kill the little bear. And then there's just this giant paw that comes across the screen, and then it just says, you died. It's like, mom came home and got real mad that you beat up her baby. The big the big bears are, are pretty ridiculous. Like, they're fast and strong and scary as hell. But there's this there's this area where there's, like, one of those big bears, and he's, he's digging in the hole. So you can kind of sneak up to him, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't notice me. I hope he doesn't notice me. And then I hear this howling, and, like, the game's got really good VO and sound, but the howling sounded like a bad – it sounded like a human. Like, it sounded like a human going, ow, ow. It didn't sound like an actual wolf. And I was like, you know, that wolf doesn't sound right. And it's these ruins, right? And I'm looking around, and I look up, and I'm like, there's a – there's a, a a guy up there on the top. <laughs> like the game doesn't hit you. It's just like I just decided to look up and I was like, "Hey, there's this guy up there." And then um, I was streaming it, so, so somebody actually mentioned there's an NPC you can ask about it. So I go ask this other NPC, and he's like, "Oh, that's uh, I can't remember his name, Bladic or Blade, or something like that, Blaze." Well, uh, well, um, use this uh, emote, and they, uh, he gives me a finger snap emote, and it'll get his attention. So I go back and snap, and he comes down. It turns out it's a dog person. <laughs> it's not just a, it, so there's a dog person standing on the top of a ruin, and he's like, oh, hey, if you see this guy, let me know. And so and it's, there's no quest, and I don't even still know the dog person's thing. It's, it's as far as I got, but the game, like, 
the world's just sort of very organic and and so in terms of storytelling like there is a story but there's no uh you know three ages hence there was a war between wizards and then the world <laughs> but was that's what I like, love I want to know about the wizard war <laughs> I think um I think like both are both are good I, like we were talking about good narratives before mm-hmm. and and um this story is tells it more in um light strokes and it doesn't overwhelm you you know you're a tarnished you know you're in a place called the lands between but I mean, you don't know if this is a heaven hell place. I don't know if this is some other realm or dimension. It's just the world you're in, and yeah, the reality of the world you're in. Yeah, it's what it's called. <laughs> and, and it's just sort of it's like how you know how Mario has these worlds. You're like, there's mm-hmm. Yoshi Island. What planet is this on? Like you never even think about it. You're just like, yeah, it's Yoshi Island. Like it follows the same kind of thinking. Like it's just gonna say like, this is what these are, and you're playing in it. And so, like, except we don't, we don't care. This is just what's yeah. happening to you now. <laughs> but, but a lot of atmosphere and and you know, um, like immersion can come from that, right? So, it, it is it is pretty good. But I wouldn't call it like you know, I wouldn't compare it to Disco Elysium or probably to Forbidden West that we talked about earlier. Even Mass Effect, in terms of telling a really engaging story with a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. It's more the storytelling in a game like this is more just about it's the environment that's telling the story, and it's you filling in the blanks. And there's something you know if you think about like how fairy tales you know they don't Little Red Riding Hood's not described so Little Red Riding Hood could be anybody. And it's like this game takes that approach, and I would say like the Nintendo IPs tend to take that approach where things are abstract, so you can kind of approach it and fill in your own blanks or wonder, just sit and wonder what that is, and, and it'd be left at that. That's kind of the approach that this game takes. I'm assuming the other entries probably follow a sim- similar thing. So I guess that's where we get to the weird part, where it's like, well, George R.R. R. Martin was involved. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, and George R.R. R. Martin is known for, like, you know, five billion word books that don't get finished. <laughs> no lies detected. <laughs> yeah. So, so it definitely isn't really his hallmark. Like, there, you know, when I talk to an NPC, he's maybe got four lines of dialogue. It's all very sparse, but it really works. I mean, if you don't like that kind of thing, you don't like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, it does, it does evoke a really uh, strong sense of mood and place. And the one thing I will say about the world, the world being sort of a character, is that. The world's actually, even though it's open world and there's stuff to discover in all kinds of places, it's very labyrinthine. Okay. Like there are a lot of there are a lot of passages where it's just like you're working your way around a mountain, and it gets really narrow, and you kind of feel like the world's a bit of a maze. Like it's interesting that way. Um, so you might take a wrong turn, but no matter where you go, you'll you're guaranteed to find something. And I, I went to an end of a road, and I saw a big storm giant tied to a chain and I saw a, a cart behind him and I went, ooh, there's probably something in that cart. So I snuck around him, got into the cart, and then he saw me and yelled at me and I ran and then <laughs> he got stuck on his chain and I laughed. I went neener, neener, neener and moved on with my day and took his sweet treasure. Um, there's kind of always something going on and I think that's probably where, I, I feel like that's probably where the departure point from previous games are and this where this game meets is that this game really has a lot of real estate and that every corner is full, not only with obvious stuff to do, but you know there's stuff you're missing because you didn't, you, you haven't figured something out. Mm. But but nothing is so hard where it's like, I'm missing everything. You know, you find something, so you feel like, oh, I found something. It's just in the back of your head, like, is there more around here? 
So I don't know. It's quite good. That, that's that's from the from the, the 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 lore perspective where I sort of consider the game world. The world itself is kind of telling you the story in dribs and drabs, and you're kind of filling in the rest in this gothic, grimdark, somewhere in between heaven and hell kind of world. And the one last thing I'll say, too, is that you know how I haven't played much of Breath of the Wild, but I do know you see Ganon's castle, I guess, or whatever, sort of looming in the background a lot. Yeah, it's kind of just right in the middle, and there's, like, a big barrier thing, I think, or something. I can't It's been a long time since I played Breath of the Wild, but it's there right at the very beginning. Like, you can, and speedrunners have, technically go run straight to Ganon and try try to murder him with your little wooden sword and three hearts. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I feel like you're, you're probably going to see that with this, except the difference, instead of having something evil in the center, there's actually that Elden tree, that Erd tree that, that you often see in the marketing. Like that's okay. The gold, beautiful trees in the middle. And then you have all these castles. Like, the skyline, if you just, at certain points at a high, you sort of pan around, there's, like, five castles, all in these, like, craggy mountain sides or like what are all these castles like am i going to go to all these castles like there's kind of this excitement about going to the castles like and there's this island how do i get to that castle there's a lot of like that too and that's actually i i found it really exciting because i'm like I, I i'm seeing all this stuff and i don't know how to get to it and i feel like i want to get to it so that's sort of been pushing me uh, towards that. But that's 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 on the story side of things. The yeah. story is, if you like a good narrative, I, I probably would say the story's not great. You yeah. know, I met a I met a turtle on a pope hat, and he's like, "Do you want to learn a spell?" You know, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, so. But at the same time, I think like uh, ridiculousness can can definitely be fun and can be really engaging. I think um, it's more so just the construction of the narrative and sometimes like the linear feel. It doesn't even necessarily have to be like linear in terms of like we're just taking you on this one ride like I'm also a fan of like exploration discovery side quests all that kind of stuff I just want to care about what's going on and I want someone to tell me what's going on and it sounds like maybe they've made a world for you to play in but they're not going to tell you how, where, or even a lot of the why. <laughs> like, it's more of just a go where you want, talk to people, you'll find stuff out. But it's almost like more of a, uh, like, day-to-day activity story as opposed to a lot of the stuff that at least I'm used to, which is a lot of, like, the world is ending, you're our only hope, and you have to play from, you know, start to this big event where you are may or may not win, but you're definitely going to win because... That's the way everything works. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of those games, you hear the developers talk about the, those games, and they're like, well, we want the players to use the systems, so let's introduce them to the systems. And you see that thinking in the game as you progress through it, right? This game does a little bit of that for the basics and then does none of it. So, I mean, John was in watching me stream yesterday, and he's like, I, I've been playing, like, I'm like level 50. I don't know how to get summons. <laughs> and I got summons in like 10 hours. And it wasn't because we did anything differently. I just had someone in my chat room point out, oh, if you go to this NPC and pick up the bell, you can use the summon. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's where I get the bell. The game didn't tell me that. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and the, so the game does a lot of not telling you stuff. Like, I think, what was there? There's something that I figured out just yesterday that I didn't know that really helped me. And the game didn't explain to me, like, here's this mechanic, and this is how this works. It's just through playing, I had to discover it. And your mileage may vary on whether you like that kind of thing or not. You know, mm-hmm. like, some – and I will say this about the game sort of in tandem with that, 
It's that, like, you know, a lot of good games will explain the mechanics so that you're able to use them and, and you know, have fun. Um, but a game like these Souls games, what they've also become is, is they're this weird MMO. Like, in the way that Wordle is an MMO. We all, everyone knows Wordle. Yeah, I assume. Oh, we know. <laughs> everyone listening, you know, Wordle. <laughs> So, so, and this, this goes into why I think is the major underpinning of why there's no difficulty slider in this game and why things are not unexplained. Um, I don't think Wordle would have been as popular of a game if some people were playing a version that pre-populated like three of the letters and only had to guess two versus people doing all five, right? There's this kind of like community shared experience that, that, that comes shared along when everyone, <laughs> when everyone's playing on the same baseline, right? Yeah. Like, you can always cheat at Wordle, and you can always <laughs> hack a mod into Dark Souls or whatever. Like, But I think what I'm discovering about this game is that it's very much a community aspect to this. So there's Twitter in the game, right? People leave messages. And sometimes oh, okay. misinformation. I thought there was actually, like, Twitter integration. But, yeah, it's, I know what you mean about leaving messages. Yeah, okay. It's, it's an in-game Twitter. Yeah, and, like, you know, sometimes is, there'll yeah. be a pit and someone will mark try jumping, right? And everyone's like, catch misinformation. And you'll, you'll get these, like, um, the most Great. popular one of this game. more fake news in my life. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You'll, and you'll see a lot of, like, shitposting. Like, you'll see a lot of, because um, it's templated. You can't just type whatever you want. You have to use from a list of preset words and structures <laughs> so people try to make you know asinine things out of what's there so the popular one is um try finger butthole and butt is with one team oh, so if you're seeing that going that? around it's because it's because people are just trying to be dirty in the game because that's it like you know like a 15 year old's like ha 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 try finger butthole and they post that everywhere and other players see that, and, you know, you'll be like, oh, there's a note here from another player that tells you to, like, you know. <laughs> Go finger your butt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's kind of immersion runic, except it's part of the experience. There's this sort of social experience, because there's been helpful things. One of the most helpful messages is when someone's, like, ambushed to the left. <laughs> no, not that one. It's, you know, and you can even upvote and downvote them too, so you can oh, give the okay. choice for Yeah, <laughs> I would yeah. be really curious to know the very first person who put that in the game, how many upvotes that one posting had. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot. I'm sure. I'm I saw sure. a lot on Twitter, um, on actual Twitter too. Another one that's a popular troll is to just go to a wall and put secret door ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know? oh, great, great. So the already yeah. super difficult and punishing game also has people trolling you so that you stare at a wall for an hour. Yeah. Great. So then, the, then the Elden Police come along and someone puts a second message and they write liar ahead. So <laughs> so then you, you know you know and like you kind of suss it out. Like try jumping and secret door ahead are like the top two like troll messages I see most consistently. It's like so unoriginal, but like it just still happens. But there's a few other aspects that are social about it. Um, that um, uh, one is like when someone dies, you could potentially see the blood stain in your game world and see how they died. So like if you know there's like a blood stain around an innocent looking corner, like you look at it and you see how the person walked around the corner and then just immediately got you know run over by something or <laughs> something happened, they started fighting. You're like, oh, that's a warning. You know, like, it, it really adds a sense of atmosphere. And then you see ghosts of other people playing while you play, too. And that's kind of, like, some people find it distracting, but it's kind of cool. Um, as well as, you know, uh, 
people can invade your game, although it hasn't happened to me yet, although there are, there are NPCs who do it to kind of teach you a bit about how that works. Okay, so um, when like, you say, like, invade your game, do you have to, like, turn that function on? Because it's a multiplayer thing, right? Yeah, so I believe you can you, you can opt out of all of that. But if you okay. opt out of that, you opt out of everything. So you just have a vanilla game. Oh, so okay. Like, so then you'd have, like, no messages, no no blood yeah, stains, yeah. no nothing. Oh, okay. So it's like no it's all or nothing choosing. with the social stuff. Okay. Yeah, there's no picking and choosing. The thing is, it's like I find the messages have benefit. Like, there's a lot of ambushes. There's a lot of I, there's a lot of legit item ahead. Like, check this out or like be careful. People actually being nice and giving you real yes, information. <laughs> there, there are helpful people out there as well. So it's just parsing, you know, what's what's good and what's not. As well as um, the first boss, you can you can invite people to help you um, in your game too. Like random, and you can queue up to help other people. So. So, like, the first boss was really hard. I did him a couple times, and someone said, hey, there's a stone there. You can bring someone to help your game. And so I summoned them. And it, there wasn't an actual person. It was a bot, but the game, I think that was there to introduce you to the mechanic of it because it's you have to use fingers to do the multiplayer stuff. The fingers are relevant. But um, these finger items. Oh, yeah. Um, like, um... It doesn't explain to you very clearly. There's a finger to do co-op. There's a finger to do invasions. There's, there's a finger know, to do your butt. There's, yeah. There's, there's, that's why fingers are in the thing because fingers are an item for... Like, it has all this, like, weirdness. This is just, like, a cue for dungeon, let's go. Like, it's all, like, magically items that right, you got to figure out. Right, sort of immersive still. It has like its, its own code. Yeah. It, has, it follows its own code, which is fine. I just, you just have to learn it. But um, And then so I, I had a summon help me with the first boss, and I had a, a co-op partner help me with the first boss, and I beat it. It wasn't that hard. Um, it certainly is a challenging and punishing game, but there are, there are options to make it easier. Mm-hmm. Um the other aspect, too, is just leveling up. I mean, most RPGs are, you know, you, you go to a new zone and it's hard, and then you get some levels, and all of a sudden it's not that bad. Or you get a new ability, a new item. Uh, this game very, you know, th- this game is hard in proportion to, you know, how much equipment you've collected and gear you've got. So, like, I think right now I've, anything I've tried to fight has not taken me more than five tries to be, and maybe I'm a little bit better of a gamer than average, probably that's true, but it's only <laughs> taken me five tries, except for this one night that was optional that I didn't realize that I did like 20 times. But I eventually overcame it, and um, just that kind of gameplay is, is you know, it's going to vary for people how much 